So, Guy, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays. Merry Christmas, same thing. This is the holiday special, the hol- the first annual Daring, or not Daring Fireball, I guess it would be the talk show, slash Daring Fireball. We'll have Daring Fireball sponsored. Uh, <laughs> holiday Spectacular. We're going to have, we got uh, Guy English here for the first segment. We've got Marco Arment, who's going to do a, um, he's going to do a couple of Christmas carols. Mm-hmm. We have uh, John Syracuse coming on later to do a reading of the night before Christmas. He's going to correct Marco's uh, caroling, too. Right. We've got uh, John Moltz who's going to come out with uh, his family recipe for eggnog. He's going to tell everybody how to make it. Mm-hmm. All this and more. Uh, a lot of songs, a lot of dancing. Uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to the uh, Scott Simpson dance number. Dance number over radio is. See, no, I didn't. I did not hear what he. I know he's coming on. Oh, Funny, oh, I ruined it for you. Sorry. Well, see, I, I was it. It was going to be a big surprise. Well, it's all right. Yeah. Can't wait to see the costume. <laughs> exactly. Funny man. You know, he should when he fills out his taxes. That's what he should fill in. You know, because they have to. I don't know what you do up in Canada, but here you have to put like an occupation. I think he should just right. put funny man. Yeah, makes sense. I wonder what he does put. I don't know. Well, we'll ask him at the uh, top of the show. My accountant though, used to always. It was. It, I swear to God, like over the last twelve, thirteen years, my accountant and I have spent more time trying to figure out what to put on in that field than, <laughs> than anything what, else. What do you put, writer? I have publisher. I forget. I don't know. He figured something out. And, it, you know, he seemed to think it mattered because it's, you know, you, you want it to look like legitimate. And it's, right. you know, it's not like a legal thing. It's like you could, I guess, legally you could put anything, you know, because legally you're allowed to be anything. I mean, you know, you could you could be a clown. But, you know, you want it to look, uh, you just so want it. Like, it's not like whatever you put limits the kinds of the things you can claim. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. So, so this this Christmas spectacular started off pretty awesome. Talking about <laughs> taxes, <laughs> taxes and accounting. <laughs> that would be a good idea. You know, that would actually probably be pretty smart if you just call it. You know, every year if you did your taxes at Christmas, just to you know get a jump on them. Yeah. Really put you in the holiday spirit. What <laughs> the only other question I have before we get into the the you know the the weekend nerdery is I just want to make sure because we're recording this now in the evening of of December twenty third. When is Canadian Christmas? Uh, January third. All right, so we're not too far off. No. All right, it's close. Yeah. All right. Well, do you guys do. So Amy's got the the Greek background stuff, right? Is right. that like do you do it on the on Christmas Eve, like the twenty fourth? No. Okay. No. Greek Easter is more of a thing. Greek Easter yeah. actually is a different day. Greek Christmas, I, I don't think is. Uh, it's all the same thing, right? Yeah, so, like, Greek, Greek Orthodox Church doesn't do anything different? Uh, I don't know, maybe. I've, or, I've yeah, never whatever. It's not a big deal, I guess. Yeah. Because yeah. here, like, a lot of, uh, like, the, the Francophone population celebrates uh, on Christmas Eve. They celebrate? Or you mean, like, they celebrate well, religiously? They open all the pres- yeah, yeah. They open all the presents. They go to Midnight Mass. Like, that Christmas Eve is the big one for them. Hmm. Yeah, Midnight Mass is a big thing. I grew up Catholic. That was a big thing. Yeah. But we what didn't do presents. Of- yeah, no, we, I mean, you know, we had the typical Anglo-British thing where you open the presents in the morning. Like, you come down the stairs and you open the presents. And, mm. yeah. yeah. But Midnight Mass is pretty cool. It, you know, honestly, my thought growing up the whole time was going to church stunk anyway. But if you're going to have to go to church, get it out of the way the night before, <laughs> and then you don't have to go on Christmas. Like, the worst to me was the times that we did go on Christmas morning. It's like, here's everything you wanted. 
an amazing here's an amazing pile of like toys and video games. Okay, go get dressed up. Let's go to church. <laughs> that is the worst. Yeah. Right? If you think about it, it's torturous. I mean, that what would be worse? And if anything, and I know you know it'd be a hard sell on uh, you know an eight, nine, ten year old kid, but it would be better to just make them get up and go to church first. Right. Just leave the toys and presents there. And I, I mean, yeah. I don't know. Maybe I'm, I'm underestimating how hard it would be to drag a kid out. But it was pretty hard to drag them out once they were opened up, too. Oh, for sure. Plus, Midnight Mass is good because as a kid, you're like midnight is that's pretty special and awesome, right? Yeah, it actually, as a kid, it actually makes you feel like you're, you know, it's about as close as you can get, you know, going to church to feeling like a badass. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like, all right, we're in church, but it's pretty badass. It's midnight. Yeah. <laughs> I remember thinking it was pretty cool that I got to stay up, but I remember thinking that it was amazing that the priests were still up because I just always imagined that priests, you know, the type of people who go to bed around sundown. Yeah, well, you never know; they could be getting into the uh, to the the Holy Spirit there. Yeah, what are they, <laughs> I'm trying to come up with a name for wine, and that's how out of my Catholic roots I am. <laughs> what, what do they call the wine? Uh, it's the blood of Christ, right? But yeah, I, mean, I don't there's know. A, it's, there's the Eucharist. And, uh, uh, I think they have a lot of names for it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit of a cop-out, but okay. Uh, we're going to get in a lot of trouble for this one. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, speaking of a lot of trouble, here's the first thing I wanted to talk to you about. So just the other day, I guess it was the beginning of the weekend, this this Justine Sacco, Justine Sacco thing. Yeah, yeah. Where Amy and I were out, we were out for the evening. We had a little little date night. We went out, and uh, I was I it was like she went to the restroom, so I quick checked Twitter, and it was clear that I, that was the first time. It was late at night, Friday in the East Coast, and it was this this hashtag. It was people who I follow using it. This has Justine landed mm. hashtag. You did you follow this? Yeah, yeah, I did. I so, mean, long story short, I mean, probably everybody listened because this thing blew up like. It's like crazy how big it blew. Yeah, it's up. not just Twitter; it's like actual news, news. Right, yeah. like front yeah. page of CNN, et cetera, et cetera. But long story short, she's a, a PR executive at IAC, which is Barry Diller's company. She was—I guess she's from South Africa. She was probably going home for the holidays. She was flying from London to South Africa, a twelve-hour flight. And before she got on the flight, she tweeted. Uh, uh, what'd she say here? I'm going to going to Africa. Hope I don't get AIDS. Just kidding. I'm white. Exclamation. <laughs> and uh, obviously offensive or, or inappropriate. Uh, insensitive, I think is the word I would use. But before we get to that, what happened then is somehow, and she only has like 200 followers. She's not, or at least at the time did, was not you know, super well-known on Twitter, didn't expect, you know, certainly didn't expect more than a couple hundred people to see the tweet. And somehow, I don't know if it was the guy at BuzzFeed or one of these other sites, but somebody found it and and posted it. Uh, now, this is somebody with like 100,000 followers, said this might be the worst tweet ever written and like retweeted it or whatever. And then it got picked up elsewhere. And then there was this hashtag, has Justine landed yet? Because... This whole thing took place while she was on a 12-hour flight with no internet, which I, to me is like is, is inseparate. You know, the whole thing, I think, would play out separately otherwise. And so she gets off the plane, probably had even forgotten she'd posted the tweet, and it's, it's like she's like front-page news at CNN, and she's fired. 
Yeah. Um, I don't know what to say about it. I mean, because, again, it's a pretty delicate thing to talk about. You don't want to. Well, I don't want to excuse the tweet, but I don't want to yeah. say that I think it was funny. But I also think it is pretty clear if you think about it and you do any research into the woman at all, that she did not mean it in the way that obviously every, that, that it could be at on the surface misinterpreted as that she's somehow taking delight in the fact that AIDS in Africa is the epidemic that's going on. There is largely a, a problem of um, non-whites. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's well, there's two, first of all, not a very well-written joke. Right. Second of all, absolutely. Uh, Cracking jokes about AIDS is a total third rail, and so yeah. is so is race. Right. So, I don't know. You're juggling hand grenades at this point, right? Poorly, um, um, you know. And somebody, there was somebody who was more or less defending her, not defending her and saying, "Hey, this was fine," but hey, this was not somebody, you know, jumping on the graves of AIDS victims in Africa. This is somebody who is trying to make like a joke from the liberal perspective and more yeah, and I think I think it's it's almost that like it's one of those sad jokes where it's like oh isn't it crazy that it's disproportionately affects right. uh, like black people rather than white affluent people in uh, South Africa right and somebody's example was well what if somebody who was a well-known white <laughs> liberal had posted uh I'm off to Florida hope I don't get shot just kidding I'm white Everybody now, people might be offended. People might a lot of people, maybe most people would think that's not funny. But if the person was known, you know, not to to be the opposite of a racist, to be a a liberal who who sort of takes you know crusades against racism, you would at least understand that that they're trying to make a joke about the fact that um, uh, gun violence disproportionately affects black people, especially in some states like Florida. Yeah, uh, and that is clearly the angle that she was trying to take. And and the thing is, I it, think so. Yeah, whatever chance she might have had to defend herself or to delete the tweet if she had not been on the airplane and realized, oh, people are taking this the wrong way, it all got lost because she was on this twelve-hour flight, and everybody realized. Not maybe not everybody, but literally hundreds of thousands of people retweeting this hashtag knew that you know found out. Hey, this woman got on an airplane in London after tweeting this insensitive thing. Wow, is she going to be surprised when she got off? And it, it really yeah. was like a very it, the Twitter equivalent of of a lynch mob, which I say knowing that lynch mobs carry a racial yeah. overtone, but <laughs> yeah, but yeah. I don't know how else to describe it. You know, it's some kind of weird yeah, mob. Yeah, definitely justice. got everybody frothing at the mouth. Uh, even I mean, just what was the hashtag? Has Justine landed yet? Yeah, like it's implicit in that hashtag that. She has no way of defending herself or even knowing right. what's going and on. It right? was like that's what people were somehow taking delight in. That you know, there's this you know unbelievable outrage. You know, it was like the number one hashtag on Twitter, and it's all about this one woman, and she has no idea, and she didn't. You know, and there were like yeah. people there waiting, people who figured out what flight she was on. Uh, you know, a couple. Of yeah, there was were, a flight tracker. Right, and there were people. Right, there was a flight tracker. People were following it. There were people who showed up at the airport to take her picture and stuff. And to me, it's it's re you know again, I'm not defending the tweet. I'm not saying no. It's a shitty you know, tweet. But it, jokes about either of those is bad. Right, but you can only get away with it with a crap load of context. Uh, 
not just about, I mean, so the Florida one, not that funny, frankly, but you've got, you know, you got the Trayvon Martin thing. You've got right. the, the stand your ground. There's been, it's, there's so much news around, like surrounding that issue right now that you can kind of quip that joke and right. people have context for it. This is context free as far as right. most of the world is concerned, you know? Yeah. And, you know, and somebody who is known, like somebody who's a professional comedian or known for telling insensitive jokes, like, I don't know, off the top of my head, like Daniel Tosh, could probably get away with the exact same joke (laughs) simply because everybody's braced for the fact that he, this is what he does. He tells really jokes that really make you like suck in air through your teeth. Like, ooh. Yeah. Um, you know, where she's just, you know, she's, uh, you know, not a comedian. She's, you know, just a, a corporate executive. Um, but it's this, I don't know, it was the delight that the crowd of people, you know, literally thousands of people every hour or minute even retweeting this hashtag that really I found worrisome. Because I don't think, yeah. and I think people knew she was going to get fired. You know, I think it was pretty clear. And, and, that's a, a separate topic, I guess, is what her yeah, employer think, should have done. Well, yeah, I want to talk about that after. Cause... But I really found it worrisome how people, you know, like... like well, it's like uh, sharks, you know, you, you chum the water, and right. it's like this gleeful... You've got 12 hours to just kind of dig in and tear everything apart without her, having her be able to respond and ruin your fun in, in any way. Right. And I think a lot of it is like, was meta level, right? Like people were like, Oh my God, I can't believe what's going to happen to her when she lands. Right. And that was the joke. Yeah, like, I'm not sure. I don't know. It seems like you could do some kind of study to figure out if she'd been if on, the, if the, if, sorry, if the, uh, if most of the f- Twitter stuff was about outrage about her joke or, uh, sort of gleefulness in her predicament. I think, see, I think it's the latter. I really do think it's the latter. And I almost feel like that's what got it picked out by the guy at BuzzFeed who decided to make it because it's sort of like this, yeah. this sixth sense that some of these people have about what, what can make of a, I hate to even say it, a viral meme Mm -hmm. but it's that it's that combination of the fact that on the surface the tweet is very offensive obviously so do you i I don't particularly blame the buzzfeed guy for i mean i kind of of what they do i mean i'm not a fan of that kind of i don't want to call it journalism but whatever it is they they call it entertainment i kind of do because i feel like i feel like he probably knew as he did it, that he was ending her career. Ooh, yeah, I guess so. You know, or at I'm the very least, well, career's a long time. I mean, and, and I think she's like 33 years old. She's, you know, it's, it's career might be overselling it, but she, you know, uh, I don't know. I, I, well, it, I mean, hopefully like it, most things internet, this will blow over in a couple of weeks and everybody's going to forget. Uh, so do you think she should have got fired for this? I, I do not. Yeah. Now, I but certainly on, don't think she should have got fired before she even landed. Right. At the very least, I think that I think that IAC, the company she worked for, should have been able to put a statement out immediately that you know that they don't agree with it and she's not speaking for the company, but you know, that there's you know 
they're not, it can't deal with this until they've spoken to her. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know though. I mean, cause it seemed like it, it exploded. Like it was like explosively in the public consciousness, you know, that somehow it shot to the top of this, like, you know, every news site was writing about it. I mean, I really do think most of this stuff, like it had like peaked in, in, uh, I don't know what the awareness or, or buzz. Mm-hmm. I mean, not to overuse that word, but it was mm-hmm. like the, the buzz was peaked before her plane landed. Like it had gotten so big so fast. I don't know that, you know, that the standard rules of PR apply. I don't know. Right. Yeah. Um, well, I, I mean, I, you know, I think it was also primed by the um, the Duck Dynasty stuff that had gone on earlier the week, right? I I can't help but think that that didn't help. Yeah, yeah. That it somehow had gotten people's attention turned to white people saying offensive things about yeah. you know, honky say the darndest things. Right. Exactly. Although I guess half of what he said that was you know it, it really got him in. Publish. It wasn't just about the stuff he said about black people, but about uh, gay people, yeah. gay men at least. Yeah, he went old school bigotry. <laughs> right. He basically, yeah, he had the he had the full suitcase there. Um, but yeah, I don't think that that helped at all. Uh, this, um, I'm just I'm still looking at this tweet. This is not a funny joke. No. You can kind of see like there's a scaffolding of what she's trying to do, and it just totally doesn't. Right. But I do think, though, that there's really only two ways that you, if you, you know, again, not to defend it, it was really, really poorly considered. And you really should, you know, it's one of those things where I I really hate to say that there are things you can't joke about, but there are things that you should be so hesitant to joke about that. Yeah. Leave it, leave it to the pros at the very least. Right. That it's effectively rounds off to never. Right. Right, it's ninety nine point nine something percent of jokes. Yeah, you do not uh, make a rape joke on Twitter. Right. Uh, well, don't do it anyway. But don't you know? Just right. Yeah. But it's you know, well, but it's somehow it's different though. It is different to make a joke on Twitter than to make it verbally, and it's probably true that any joke that you shouldn't make in one place, you shouldn't make in the other. But it's. It's, you know, it's more dangerous to make it somewhere where there's a written, a written record of it. Um, well, just find the record is the thing. I, well, I find it more like... And it's also the case that it, it can it can be... It, 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 it's easier when it's just a string of... It, it gets back to the all these arguments about the internet in general dating back to, you know, when people first got online and started using smiley, mm-hmm. you know, colon, you know... Dash right. parentheses because, because people just does not right people needed to know when you're joking uh, or some people do and some people really just don't you know some people pick it up less than others uh, and it's also true even people who might pick it up in their native language everybody who who you know speaks more than one language has trouble picking up on the subtleties of humor in their second third fourth languages so for anybody who's not a native English speaker. Any hope of interpreting something like that as a joke is a lot more difficult. Um, that said, I don't think a smiley at the end of this would have no, would have served it well. <laughs> Although I do think that was the purpose of the exclamation mark. You know, an exclamation mark is yes. sort of a more formal smiley. Yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, yeah. Like I read this and I don't see this as a 
like a white supremacy thing. I right. see more of it like this is a depressing reality thing. Right. I, there's only two ways, to, you know, and and maybe there's a lot of people who who did see it that way and that, who didn't see it as again like like you said like a white supremacy thing. Uh, who did instantly recognize it as you know as something else, but who did then think that it was making light of the situation? And arguably, that's Which exactly is- what is genuinely—that's what's genuinely offensive about it. Not that it's racist, but that yes. it's making light of an incredibly seriously grave situation. You know, yep, affecting millions and millions of of people. Yeah, um, I mean, especially in Africa. Uh, right. Well, first of all, it's super widespread. Second of all, uh, the, while we have drugs in the West now that can kind of manage HIV at least, uh, it, way way too expensive in Africa. Like there, there's just there's right. no managing that disease. It's it's ravaging and it's horrible and it it's oh man, it just affects giant sections of the population. Right. It's, and it, and it it's it seems almost and it's like one of those like catch twenty two intractable situations where, as devastating and as 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 epidemic and tragic as AIDS was in the West, you know, in the U.S. and and in Europe, mm-hmm. that it's worse in Africa because they're not equipped to deal with it in terms of education, in terms of the medical infrastructure, and in terms of societal norms where there's huge problems. You know, like in the U.S. And in Western Europe, a lot of it was helped with a campaign to, you know, increase condom usage. Again, yeah, I don't want to get all start, serious here and turn this into an AIDS podcast, but yeah, it really, holiday, the holiday you know, special. but, but it's, you know, and there's, and that's well, relatively got, simple and cost effective. I mean, you know, sure. Condoms but I mean, are, I th- uh, one of the reasons it got so bad in the West was that it was stigmatized as a, like a basically a gay man's disease. Right. Effectively what? Early 80s, people were calling it the gay cancer. Right. You no, know, really understood it. Uh, once, you know, people got their head out of the sand and tried, like actually started realizing just how horrible this thing was and that it affected not just, you know, some kind of subculture that you could dismiss. Subcultures from where somebody, I'm, I'm going to screw this up. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm talking about uh, sensitive issues. So I'm sure I'm going to offend someone. Well, let's say a mi- I, I don't mean to. A minority but culture. Once, right. Yeah, what a stigmatized group, subgroup, basically. But once people got over that, uh, yeah, condom usage, uh, you know, just STD awareness, that right. kind of thing. And really, all sorts of problems to- in Africa where there's you know enormous cultural resistance to the use of condoms at all, uh, you know, and, and then just go from there, and it just is, you know, it truly is. I mean, the whole Project Red campaign is you know is about raising awareness and trying to help. Um, right you know, help the situation. And it's, you know, I guess it kind of ties into our, all of our mutual interests because Apple has participated in the project red stuff for a long time, you know, with various iPods and special editions and stuff like that. Um, so what outcome would you have liked to have seen? Like, you know, given perfect group world, I guess, I think some, somehow, somebody, rated, somebody would have rated the tweet one star. Yeah, I, <laughs> I don't know. I guess somehow for it never to have, well, even saying never taken off is not right because you know she right. did write it, and so some sort of you know if you write something like that's facing some sort of feedback uh, is uh, exactly, yeah. but that you know, uh, 
I, I, I don't know. I wish somehow I do. I, I don't know. I just don't feel like it's right that she lost her job or that lost her job automatically, you know, like had no chance to defend herself. Yeah. Like, you know, everybody should have a chance to defend themselves. I agree. You know, I and she feel the same way about the, uh, the duck dynasty guy that got booted off A and E. Yeah. I wonder and about I that. Really too. don't. I, I, I really don't like that guy. I don't. I, the other hand, he's paid to. That's what he's paid to do, right? It's like you put a bunch of dudes like that in, to entertain you, and you ask them a question like that. Well, that's the. It's part of the reality show conceit, right? Is that they right. say crazy stuff. So. I I certainly didn't agree with any of the things that were deemed controversial about his interview. I, I mean, I disagree with all of them, and think you know some of them are just factually factually wrong. But yes. I didn't think anything he said was sensational or hateful. You know, I think it's it's you know uh, close my well. It's pretty hateful. Maybe it's. I mean, there's no ins- He's not inciting anybody to to take action. Right. But it's just it's certainly hateful in terms of its close mindedness, right? Right. Well, uh, maybe hate's the wrong word, though. I, yeah, I don't maybe, know. Maybe I'm always a little careful to use the word hate. I, yeah, I, yeah, I agree. It gets you know, overused. Uh, uh, hate this ice cream. Well, you know. Yeah. It's kind of pointless. But I did, and and I'd never seen the show. You know, it's yeah. I, I guess I'd heard of it, but I didn't even know what it was about. And then it ends up. I mean, I guess there's literally you know like ducks on the show. I, I thought the family name. I thought they were like the Duck Family or something. <laughs> I really did. I don't know. It said Duck Dynasty. I just figured it was a bunch of hill. But you know what's funny is the only reason that it came to my mind originally was weeks ago when the baseball playoffs were on, and there were all sorts of people making fun of the Red Sox for their ugly beards. And people were saying they look like the guys from Duck Dynasty. And I, that, was the, <laughs> that was the first I'd ever even heard of the show. And I was like, oh, it's a show about a bunch of, you know, bearded hillbillies in Louisiana. And that's all I knew about it until this. Yeah, I don't know anything about it. I did know that up until recently, like the new season was out and Apple had it all over their Apple TV interface, like with one of those nice uh, promo banners. Oh, really? Yeah, they might have pulled it. I don't know. I haven't looked. Yeah, or it might have just come out of rotation. I, yeah. I don't want to read too much into the tea leaves of that. But, um, but uh, anyway, what? the thing is, I, I all right, so I haven't watched the show. So I could be far off base. But my understanding reading up on this is that anybody who does watch the show wasn't the least bit surprised by a single thing that he said that got him into trouble this week. It doesn't yeah, seem like... kind of my understanding. Like, I know they're... Um, they're very devout, right? Uh, I don't want which is intentionally not to use the word Bible thumping or anything like. Uh, I, I I don't know enough about them. I've never watched the show. I know that they they take their uh, their religion seriously, a little bit too seriously, if you ask me, uh, based on the comments. But here's a question for you: um, in both of these cases. Uh, a lot of sort of the defenders have been saying that it's a matter of free speech, which I think is just uh, that's just a smoke bomb. That I don't think there's any merit to that argument at all. How do you how do you feel about that? Wait, can you repeat the question? Uh, basically, people are saying that well, these people are just exercising their right to free speech. Oh, they're, right, they're, yeah. Not, they don't, you know, right. they're not on the hook for. You shouldn't be mad at them. 
Right. Uh, uh, you know, and there's, it seemed to, it, there were a lot of people jumping to defend this uh, Duck Dynasty guy immediately, right. you know, on, on the US political right, um, including some, you know, major politicians. Uh, and they were calling it a First Amendment issue. And the First Amendment here in the US is the, you know, includes the freedom of speech. Uh, and I, I don't, I think that's, yeah, I think that's totally off base because the freedom of speech means that you can't be arrested for saying things like that, right? Yeah. That you didn't, he and didn't, he broke no laws by saying these things uh, that are yeah. offensive yeah. to many, or you can say things that are offensive to most, you know, that, you know, you're allowed to speak up in favor of, you know, the Nazi party and Hitler, certainly, you know, legally allowed to, I mean that, you know, just to pick so, uh, 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 an egregious example of something right. that an overwhelming majority of people by, uh, across any divide would agree is, you know, offensive. Yeah. Do you, totally you, guys, you guys have hate speech laws, right? Uh, we do. Although, you know, honestly, I'm, I can't, I'm not a hundred percent sure whether they are federal or go state by state. Yeah. Uh, but we I mean, do. But the, you know, the general concept being that, yes, you have the right to say anything. And right. then effectively, if you incite hatred towards a group or and Right. Traffic. But I think that by the standards of a lot of Western countries, the U.S. hate speech laws are liberal and favor yes. the size, you know, the favor the, uh, you know, the, the speaker. Yes. I think There's if so, you would. Certainly more so than Canada. Canada, we have some reasonably strict ones. Uh, not strict, but. I know what you mean, though. And a yeah. lot of Western Europe does, too, where just by saying. Well, Germany's. You know, Right. Like, you cannot display a swastika anywhere for, you know, good reasons. Right. And that's, I'm not even saying I disagree with it, but exactly. Yeah. That's a perfect example where you're legally, legally not allowed to speak in favor of the Nazi party or to display the stuff. Mm -hmm. Whereas in the U.S., that would not fly. It would not, I don't think, you know, if it were challenged, I don't think it would pass, you know, yeah. Supreme Court constitutional muster. Um, but your freedom of speech does not not include the ability to keep your job, right. no matter what you say. Uh, you know, especially if your job is, uh, you know, as public as you know being a uh, on a hit TV show. Yeah. And apparently, this Duck Dynasty show, even though you know, shows how you know it's crazy over the top. Yeah, but it's all you know crazy popular. It's like yeah. the most popular reality show on TV in in America. Um, yeah. So yeah, you don't have any right to keep your job. No. And so I guess that goes the same for Justine, right? Yeah. I mean, I don't think that, you know. She, so I don't think she has a right to keep her job right. based on the fact that she's exercising her free speech. I think that the company mishandled it. Uh, probably because they got scared of all the, you know, all the hate mail in the beginning. Right. And, you know, it's a tough call because clearly it's in the company's interests to protect the company. You know, yeah. and that's it's their, yeah, it's their mandate. They have an obligation, actually. Right, and you know, something like this starts burning up, and it just keeps getting worse and worse, hour by hour. I mean, like more and more. You know that you know between the seventh hour of her twelve-hour flight and the ninth hour of her twelve-hour flight, now it's gone from the Huffington Post to CNN. You know, yeah, uh, you know, and that they needed to do something. Man, uh, to be a, to be a fly on the wall in that airplane. As, as, as she was blissfully unaware of the right, but you know. I really do think, and I know that this sounds, you know, I could be wrong because it's so inflammatory that what she wrote that maybe it would have burned up anyway. But I really do believe, yeah. though, that it was the the that that 
she's locked on a plane for 12 hours. Like it almost, that's the part that almost made it seem like at first that maybe this was another one of these pranks. Right. right. And this comes after the Elon Gale thing with the Diane and yeah, yeah, yeah. where it was again with an airplane. And that one was, Hey, this plane has Wi-Fi. You can follow along as I do this. My first thought too. And when I showed it to Amy, Amy's first thought was this, is, Amy said, this is fake. She was like, yeah. this has got to be fake. Oh, that's good. Good on her. Because yeah. it's too perfect, right? It is yeah. It is an inflammatory, uh, offensive joke. Yeah. But it's not super unridiculous. It's, it, it's not impossible to believe that someone would write it. Right. It's not, it's, it was, you know, if it were and, fake, it was well-crafted. And then, the, and well, you know, the guy was a producer for a reality show. Right. So. Right. And somebody else is aware of what, you know, captures people's imaginations. Imagine yeah. if some, you know, it's a great scenario. Imagine, you know, it's, it's, it's dramatic. Imagine if somebody tweets something offensive, gets on an airplane that's 12 hours long and doesn't have in-flight Wi-Fi. And in the meantime, it blows up as the top hashtag on Twitter. Yeah. Like that sounds like something out of a, a brilliantly conceived fake, you know, hoax. Right. Yeah. All you got to do is plant it with BuzzFeed. Um, I do think, or I wonder, like, what if it had been a 24 hour flight? Maybe, I don't know. I feel like the oxygen would have just got sucked out of the, out of the room. Cause it's one tweet and you can only, yeah, I don't how know. Many, how many jokes are you going to make about that one thing? <laughs> I wonder. Like, maybe it would have been better if it was 24 hours. I don't know. I'll tell you what. I think if it was a two-hour flight, like if she'd been flying to Berlin or something, you know, of that distance, yeah. I don't I don't think it would have been that big a deal. Might have blown up a little, but I think it would have, you know, she could well, have. would have been she, contained. She, yeah. Right. She could have deleted the tweet and, and you know. So here, here's another question for you. Uh, first thing she does well, I don't know about the first thing, but when she discovers that this has gone crazy, she deleted the tweet immediately. Mm. Uh, go to bed. I think you have to, I think. I don't know. I mean, and it's weird I, because... I don't know so, either. I know that I would probably panic and then delete the tweet. Yeah, and it's like, you know, again, not to abuse a, a cliche, but it's, you know, like trying to put the genie back in the bottle. I mean, because, yeah. you know... It, for everybody who just retweeted it and when you you know use a real the native retweet feature of the you know the original tweet gets deleted the retweets get deleted but for everybody who does that there's a lot of other people who still retweet the old way where you type rt space the username yeah. and then the tweet and all the articles that are written about them for everyone that embeds it using twitter's embedding tool there's an awful lot of people who still just take screenshots of tweets yeah i mean even and even people know what they saw right yeah you know? i mean so even me so you know i know how it works uh i could still see myself wanting to delete the tweet uh if only because i'm like whoa i put something out there that's really offending people and i want right. to remove that and then explain why right. uh, i think the smart thing to do is not delete it but rather to explain that uh you know basically go into apology mode and keep it there for the for lack of a better term, the historical record, right? Right. Uh, but you know that takes takes balls to sort of have that sitting in your timeline with all that. The, and you know. it didn't take her long either to d delete her whole Twitter account. I'm not even sure if she. Did. I'm actually not even sure about that because it's like by the time I got up the next day, her whole Twitter account was gone. So I'm not yeah, even sure. Yeah, stage I saw too. I, I read somewhere that she deleted the tweet right. and then the account. So I'm going with that. But maybe it was just nuked the whole account. Right. 
Uh, and again, it's like, I don't even know. What do you do? I, I don't know. I, but I, 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 I just do. I, uh, again, I don't excuse the tweet at all. I think it was incredibly, you know, insensitive. Uh, yeah. And, and, and to the point where I really think that she should have known better. I really do. Yeah. Uh, you know, like I can imagine some other tweet that might get some people riled up, but which I think could be a little bit more defensible as a joke. And I think this is pretty hard to defend as a joke. Um, well, it's just not a very good joke. Right. Well, not even because it's not good, because I really do think that, you know, I really do think that AIDS in Africa and the the racial disparity of that situation combined is is just, I'm just going to put it in the unjokeable file, by which I mean, yeah. and, you know, and, you know, 99.9% you should just know better. Right. Um but I just think that the reaction and the, the 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 size of the reaction is just disproportionate to the crime, you know. And it's just this weird way that online stuff like this can have repercussions. That it just there, there's no analogy to anything in the you know the old, the pre-internet world. You know, and it's it, it, yeah. it sounds corny to say, hey, the whole world, you know, this is one of those ways the world has changed. But it's true. Like, there is no way that in, you know, 19, I don't know where to peg it, but let's just yeah, say like. 75 or something. Right? Well, even like 1995, sure. right? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I mean, what was the, what could she have done in 1995? Posted something on AOL? I mean, it's, <laughs> there wasn't anything like Twitter. There, I don't recall yeah. any way where any individual AOL user could post something that would blow up like this. I mean, there were, you know, we had people like us had news Usenet, but I mean, people yeah. posted all sorts of crazy shit on Usenet and nothing ever became of it. Yeah. I mean, I don't you know. It, it, Cause it just weren't enough people on it, you know? Yeah. What would it be like letter to the editor? Yeah. In the, in the New York times. Would it be but they like never would have published a letter exactly. to the editor like that. Right. No, it's true though. There was and no, it, certainly would have been, it would never have been picked up by other newspapers, which is I what think, happens. In, you know, the closest you could have gotten pre-internet, I guess would be a, a crazed rant on TV, like the famous Howard Beale rant in uh network, mm -hmm. you know, where the network news uh, anchor just snaps and just says, you know, I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anywhere and just goes on a, I'm not going to take it anymore and goes on a rant against, you know, whatever crazy shit was in his head. Yeah. But it would be hard. It was very few people could have gone crazy on, you know, and, and it would really have to be going crazy where she didn't go crazy and tweet something. No. She got reckless or she has a blind spot to something, you know, I mean, I think she was probably shocked as shit when she got off the plane. Uh, I bet, you know? yeah. And I sympathize too because I know what it's like. I certainly don't know what it's like to make a mistake of that magnitude, but I know what it's like to make a mistake, period. Yeah. And then to just sit there and have it be a stupid mistake, like because that's what I think. I'm sh I, well, I say sure, yeah. but I'm nearly sure that sh the thought that has to be going in her head over and over again is how could I be so stupid? Because it's, I'll bet it's as obvious to her how stupid it was to tweet that as it is to all everybody else. Yeah, I mean, I crack jokes and then cringe like, ah, oh, god, and I, you know, I can feel embarrassed like an hour or two later, like, even just when you know hanging out with people, like, oh man, that was a really crappy joke. I don't know why I did that one. Uh, this is like a whole new level, right. and you, you know, you're pretty public figure, so you got a big target on your back. So to keep you up, not keep you up at night, but do you worry about this, like? 
you're going to crack some joke about a baseball thing and the, the internet's just going to go after you. I hate to say, I, I don't want to say it in a way that I don't want to, I don't want to, like, so, I don't want to yeah. take this thing and say it's all about me, but it, it did occur to me. Like there is a sort of there, but for the grace of God, go yeah. I, you know, like, I'd like to think that I have the common sense not to tweet yeah. something like that. I, I don't think it's just about you. I mean, that's, she had what? Sub 200 followers. Right. I mean, right, talk, and maybe you see, when you talk baseball, so. right, but maybe that actually helps someone like me. Where obviously, if I tweeted something like that, it would it would get me in trouble very very quickly because I have so many followers on Twitter. But it's the fact that I have so many followers on Twitter that makes me relatively cautious. You know, yeah. Well, with, again, and there's context to you, right? Because you're more of a public figure. Like this person gets retweeted, and you have no idea. Maybe she's just a crazy racist, like constantly. Right. And you just don't know anyway. Right. But it's, you know, it's certainly possible, you know, and it's, you know, and you might, somebody out there might think, well, I don't have to worry about that because I can't be fired. But there's <laughs> no, but that's actually not true. You, I couldn't be fired. But what would happen easily? And, you, you know, if I tweet, from, yeah. well, I, people would go after this, my sponsors and exactly. make it make yeah. it poisonous to sponsor, you know, my website or my podcast or whatever else. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, again, if I tweeted something like that, maybe rightfully so, but, um, you know, hopefully not for like a Red Sox tweet, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I mean, like you like to throw firecrackers, but right. you're not throwing like hand grenades around. So. Right. Yeah. But I'm not, you know, you know, somebody who, who, you know, like, uh, Michael Bloomberg, you know, nobody can yeah. screw him. He's got a billion dollars. He can do whatever he wants. You know, somebody who's dependent on sponsors is, you know, it's not a single source where one, you know, boss could fire me, but it's, it's, you know, I'd certainly, certainly susceptible to, uh, yeah, you could get run out of town. Yeah, exactly. I can get run out of town. Speaking of which, you want to do a sponsor? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> how are we going to, how the hell do you transition into a great sponsor spot after like, uh, I don't know. That's AIDS, that's, AIDS epidemic and all yeah. kinds of stuff. Oh, good. Well, here's a good one. This is, I think is a good one to do first. Um, it's a new sponsor. And <laughs> poor guys. Yeah. Uh, this sounds like a great service. It's called Symporium. S I M P O R I U M. Here's the idea: if you travel with your smartphone uh, outside your local country, you know exactly what I'm going to talk about. It's as soon as you're outside the country, you're roaming and you're paying like five hundred dollars a minute for data. Um, so the smartest thing to do, the cheapest way to use your iPhone or any other smartphone outside your country and you're traveling is to get a local SIM card with mm -hmm. local rates wherever you're going. It's way cheaper than roaming. Uh, it, it's just just the right way to go. Uh, the problem is unfamiliar geography and language barriers make it a pain to find a SIM card when you get where you're going and to understand what you're getting. So Symporium, get it? Symporium, they do it for you. You go to their website, you choose your destination before you go, uh, tell them what your carrier is, what wireless package you want. You get a pick from one of their local carriers where you're going, and they do the rest. And they'll send you the SIM card to your house before you travel. Or if you'd prefer, or if you're you know more likely like me and doing it closer to the last minute, they'll send it to your hotel at your destination. So you go, I could go to, you know, Ireland or something like that. And then when I get to my hotel right there at the desk, I'll give them my name and they'll say, oh, here's this package for you. It's from Symporium. I already have the local SIM card. 
So you just put your local SIM card when you arrive and, and you've got data worry-free and you've already know what you're paying because you paid for it in advance and Symporium's website uh, explained it all out. So there's no hidden costs, no bill shock back home. Okay, what do you do? Well, you go to their website at uh, Symporium.com, S-I-M, like a SIM card, S-I-M-P-O-R-I-U-M.com, Symporium. You can check out which countries uh, they serve right now. They have a li- It's a, a pretty decent list right now, and it's growing every week. And when you check out, you can use this promo code, John sent me, J-O-H-N-S-E-N-T-M-E. And the first thousand orders that use that code, it's just for the talk show's discriminating audience. First thousand orders save, uh, they don't pay the convenience fee, and that's $5 savings per order. John sent me at Symporium.com. Check them out and see uh, what countries they have service for. Great, great idea. That is a killer idea. Uh, as you know, I, you know, I run a conference here in Montreal, which involves dragging a bunch of you American guys up here. <laughs> and this is actually a big deal. People keep asking me all the time, what do they do about their SIM cards and data roaming? And I don't really have a good answer. And now I do. I, the, I guarantee you. And I, you know, I, I love the sponsors of this show. Uh, and an enormous number of them are services and products I use. Here's one. I can't say I have used it. I hadn't heard of them before this. And I haven't been outside the country in a while. Uh, but I'll tell you what. Next time I leave the country, I guarantee you I'm using Symporium. Because it is an enormous problem. Yeah, I'm going to do the same thing. Cost me an arm and a leg to travel. I always thought that they should. And again, I don't want to put a crimp in Symporium's business. But I always thought that the, um, the airlines should have something like this. Where, like, when they come around with your custom cards, like 90 minutes before your international flight lands, they should offer to sell you a local SIM card. That's a good idea. Because it seems to me like these airlines are looking to nickel and dime you over everything anyway. You know, they want to, you know, charge you for drinks, they want to charge you for uh, bags and stuff like that. Well, why not sell you a $15 SIM card for $25? Anyway. but That's instead, a, yeah. they're not they going should, to do You know what they should do is team up with Symporium. Yeah, exactly. Team up yeah. with Symporium. Symporium will hook them up. That way they'll be all hooked up country by country because Symporium's already done all the work of uh, figuring out you know, which local carriers and which countries are available for what. Yeah. Anyway. I'm, going to, I'm definitely going to go with this. It looks awesome. Fantastic. Save me a fortune. Yeah. It's really a brilliant idea. Even uh, if you go to Africa, I'm sure they can hook you up. I forget where I went the one time, and I just assumed – I didn't Google it or anything. I just assumed that when I got off the flight, I don't think it was at Heathrow, but I think it was, maybe it was in Dublin. Maybe it was when I went to Dublin for the Wool conference last year or something. I just figured, hey, you know what? I'll get off the plane and buy a SIM card at the airport. And I got all the way from my gate, looking, scanning back and forth. Where can I buy a SIM card? Where can I buy a SIM card? All the way to like the baggage carousel, which is like the end of any hope of finding any kind of commercial service. And there was, I, if there's something there, I couldn't find it. Hmm. And I ended up, I forget what the hell I did, but it was a pain in the ass. Well, problem solved. You going to go this year to you? Uh, I, I, I would bet on it. I don't have anything booked. Are you, you're going to speak there, right? Yeah. Yeah, I'm excited. Yeah. Well, then I'll go if you're going. Oh, perfect. All right. A holiday spectacular coming up, but I still I have more to talk about with you before we bring out. Uh, Who's up first? Marco's up first, right? Uh, right, because Marco's going to sing. Mm-hmm. 
I guess we should do this. Or should we, well, yeah, we'll save the dramatic reading of A Night Before Christmas by John Syracuse for the end. Um, yeah. Well, Paul has his, uh, I mean, Kefasis has his, uh, his bell choir thing, right? <laughs> Uh, yeah, they're slated. They'll be towards the end. It's going to be a long yeah. show, probably. Yeah. Perfect. Um, well, we want, should we brighten this up? Let's talk about something cheerful. Should we talk about something cheerful? Yeah. Yeah. Hey, uh, congrats on being in the uh, best of 2013. Yeah. That was a, that was a real thrill. We got a nice yeah. review in, uh, this is the Vesper. Vesper, uh, the Vesper app was picked by the Apple App Store as one of the, Best productivity apps of 2013. Yeah, that was uh, nice. Nap, so. We we got it too. So well, there you go. Congratulations. Screw you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know what's funny? I'll tell you what's funny. Is I said something, and I generally, I I I, I don't talk shop with yeah. with the wife very often. And if I do, I'm definitely, and you know her. You know, oh yeah, yeah. I'm not going to brag. So right. if something good happened, I generally am even less likely to bring it up. Uh, but with Vesper, I feel like it's a little easier for me to, to well, maybe not brag, but to say good things because I feel like I can share it with others. Like when good things happen about Daring Fireball, it's just me. So it's just, it's, you know, it's yes. self-serving to mention it. Whereas I can say, you know, thanks to Dave and Brent, you know, we got this nice award from Apple. Uh, and so she went to look it up. And she said, you're full of shit. You're not listed here. I went through every single one of these productivity apps. Uh, <laughs> why would you lie to her well no because she went to the she was on I, her mac and she went to the app st- and she knows she knows the you know yeah, iphone app store and mac app store but it's a funny thing because i've done that mistake too although not for five minutes but uh <laughs> but it just says app store you go there so she went to the app store and just looked to see what you know what they said about vesper but it wasn't listed because you know we don't have the mac version but yeah. she, she did see your app oh cool she didn't say anything though <laughs> Am I supposed to be in it, like take that heart or something? No. Um, yeah, they need to fix that. I don't. Well, I don't know. I don't understand why everything's separate. Because that's a, that's a perfectly reasonable thing to do is to go to the app store and to look for an app. Well, and the other thing too, it, it, like on the iPhone, I never go there and expect to be able to find Mac apps. But right. on the Mac, I know that I can find iPhone and iPad apps. Yeah. But you have to go to iTunes. It doesn't make, it, you know, it, it makes historical sense, but it doesn't make logical sense that if you want to find iPhone and iOS apps while you're on your Mac, you go to iTunes. But if you want to yeah. find Mac apps, you go to the App Store. Yeah. I mean, my I think this is just another case of iTunes and uh, being cross-platform. Yeah. Because they could, they could shoehorn it into the the App Store app, uh, except but, then Windows is all racked right. out, right? So, right. Yeah. I almost feel, though, at some point they just should just... Uh, well, actually, I don't know. That's a good question. I was going to say at some point they should just say, look, if your computer is Windows, but you have an iPad and or iPhone, then you got to just... You have to use the App Store on your device. You can't use a computer. But then I was going to say, but then that would mean you'd only be able to back up through iTunes. And I don't know if they want to do that. I think they want most people to use iTunes for backup. Mm-hmm. But I don't know that they want to go iTunes only for backup. 
I don't know. Well, they have iCloud, right? I think they'd actually prefer iCloud. That's too. what I meant, iCloud. Yeah, yeah. Right? But if they – I'm saying no. Yeah, I know what you mean. You know what? Maybe it's as simple as you just pull out the app – you remove the app store from iTunes. Like it's just not there. Right. Uh, and on the Mac, you get it inside the app, the uh, the App Store app. Like it includes all the iOS stuff. And on Windows, well, you know, you're host. You got to buy it on your device. Right. But then, how would you still be able to back up your device to iTunes on Windows? Sure, yeah, because the App Store is different from. I mean, those are separate, right? Like when you connect the thing, you get the, your device, right? Yeah, I guess so. But that's sort of. But that's see. But the way backups work is they don't really back up your apps, right? They back yeah. up your data, and then your backup comes, and you get your data from each of your apps back. Yeah, but then, and then you, you have read down to, the list of apps. Right. That you, yeah. But then I guess they could do it where instead of downloading them or or copying them over from USB from your saved copies of the apps in iTunes on your Mac or PC, you'd have to re-download them over the air to your device. Right. We could do it, I guess. I don't know. I just sort of feel like eventually the hatchet's just going to come and they're going to they're going to cut all that out of iTunes. Oh, it's going to it's going to have to come. Right? And just make iTunes about buying and playing music. Yeah. And I guess I mean, we've been saying that for years and I I don't know if everybody likes this one better, the iTunes 10. Might it's growing on me. I like it. I think it's pretty good. Uh just, you know, conflating functions, you know, like sticking the app store in iTunes and all the device management stuff, it's getting weird. Yeah. Well, I, 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 I want iSync back. I mean, call it something different. But, you know, you remember that? Like, that, that app I do remember that. that. I yeah. forget. And you could get, like, plugins for it to, to back up all sorts of crazy devices to your Yeah, Mac, yeah. Right? Yeah, you plug in, one. like, my, uh, my Razor, and it right. would show up. Yeah, or your, your Arcos MP3 player. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Remember that? I that think you fun. could use iSync with things like that if somebody wrote, like, a plugin for it. I know yeah. you could do it with crazy phones. I know that you could do things like plug a Razor in and get, like, your contacts synced over and stuff like that. Yeah, it's funny because in a lot of ways that worked really well. <laughs> For the, yeah, works pretty awesome back in the day. Do you remember that uh, there was like a Bluetooth thing that you could run on your Mac and you could connect to it from your, let's say your Razor, and you could use it to sort of perform tasks on your Mac? Am I making any sense? Like, you, wow, like yeah. your, your computer it, would show up as a device and you could pick it on your crappy little phone. And then, like you know, press the the, the D pad buttons to like skip tracks and move around. <laughs> right, <laughs> it actually worked pretty well. Right, but you'd have to. It'd be like twenty clicks, like into a D pad menu to. Uh... Oh yeah, 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 definitely. But it worked, and it was kind of cool. Yeah. Uh, what else have we got? Oh, you know what? Yeah, let's get back to Vesper. So, you're uh, you're like an indie software guy now. Yeah. For for what? A year? I, we shipped late January. I can't remember when you guys shipped. Around the same time. No, right? we shipped it. We didn't ship until WWDC. We were like in a race against time and shipped like the week before WWDC. And we like hit the App Store, I think, like the Friday before the Monday WWDC. Oh, that was it. Yeah. So you've been out six months ish? Yeah. But we incorporated on 12 12 12. Yeah. So we've had, we had our one year anniversary. Uh, uh, what would that be? Eleven days ago, and we, so how, you know, Dave and I at least got to work right away. Right. 
So how are you finding it? Fun. Yeah. Yeah, I really enjoy it. I mean, yeah, you're not you're not a stranger to working on a team, but it's uh, no. no, but it was it's good to be back. Yeah. No, and I I'm as happy now as I was a year ago when it was new. It's good though. I feel like I've as I've gotten older, and even though I was out of doing actual indie development for a while there, it's it's just age and maybe just cynicism, like the type of cynicism that just builds up over years. I've gotten a lot better at estimating how long stuff is going to take. Hmm. Are like, you like? Are you accurate? Like, do you estimate and then just do like an arbitrary thing, like you multiply it by one point five or two or something, or do you actually? I figure anything UI related will take at least twice as long, and that's been pretty good. Yeah. And then anything that involves uh, networking, I just multiply it by a hundred. <laughs> <laughs> like when I wrote, when I bad rule of thumb, right? Yeah. Like when I when I wrote, and people thought I was just I, some people really took it the wrong way. But like when I wrote the thing about that, you know, publicly pre-announced that we're going to work on sync, mm-hmm. uh, and I said, and just I think, it's, but I think it was the right thing to do. I I have no regrets over it so far. Uh, even though in general I'm against pre-announcing anything, but I just as for all the reasons I outlined when I wrote about it. I think this is an exception that proves the rule. But you know, how long is it going to take? Uh, I think at least a year. And right. do I really think it's going to take a year? No, or at least I hope it won't. But I just assume that everything that could possibly go wrong will go wrong, and that it'll take a year. So yeah. you know, we're ahead of schedule. Yeah. No, I think that's. Uh, pretty sure you said that explicitly in the post. Right. But people yeah. took it the wrong way. Where I, it's like I posted that, and then there were some of the reactions were. Uh, you know, holy fucking shit, a year for sync? Are they out of their minds? You know, I thought these guys knew what the hell they were doing. It's like, oh, well, you know. Well, so that was your race of days moment. Right. I guess. Yeah. Uh, sync is hard. I don't I don't envy Brent at all having to deal with that. Um, and I guess that is sort of the number one requested feature for your app. Oh, by far and away. I don't even, yeah. and that's, you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, I forget, I, I, there's all sorts of analogies I can use, but it's more like, like other feature requests are planets and asteroids and sync is the sun around which all of them revolve. You know, there are no other feature requests other than sync to, in hmm. some arguments, in some ways of looking at it. Cause people, you know, and Brent has said, you know, said this before, before we pre-announced sync and people mm-hmm. would say well how come it doesn't have an ipad version well an ipad version doesn't make sense until you have sync because what right. you know you, you i say can't but you, you know you know what i mean that you can't have a universal app that's iphone and ipad and not have them sync the data between them you right. could but it would really be stupid i mean it would confuse people i mean people would just you know rightfully would assume that it must sync somehow and then right. when they didn't they'd be like i don't i don't understand what i'm doing wrong yeah. um and so sync comes before anything because people are asking for things like, well, how about an iPad version or a Mac version or how about some of these other features? And there's all sorts of great features, but it's, you know, without sync, it's, you know, it doesn't make sense. But on the other hand, you know, if pe- there's all sorts of other people who've said many times, well, how did you ever ship without sync? But I don't know that we, I, I don't think we would be a single day ahead of where we are today if we had waited for sync. So we, yeah, instead of having... Yeah. Spent the last seven months making money in the app store. We'd have been making zero dollars working well, on the it would app. Have been 
digging a hole. That's what you would have been doing. Right. You know, if I, you know, if you're costing out your time, you just, it would have been way harder to justify spending that amount of time doing development right. if you hadn't actually shipped something. So yeah, I think it's the right thing to do. Also, maybe I'm just weird, but I don't know if I care that much about sync for Vesper. Uh, like I mostly just use it on my phone. I use it constantly, but it's pretty much always on my phone. I don't care about it on my iPad so much. It's a reason. It's a reasonable argument. Uh, I mean, and it, I get frustrated sometimes because I'll be there at my Mac, and there, here's a paragraph of text. This is it, or an address, or something. Yeah. And I just want to stick it on my phone real quick. And yes. Vesper would be a perfect place to stick it, but it's like the getting it from A to B is you know without some kind of syncing thing is, you know, it's convoluted. What do you do? Yeah. You email it or you switch out to the, what's the tap bots thing? Pastebot. Yeah. Uh, you know, but then all of a sudden you're tapping this app, tapping that app or loading an email or waiting for an email to come in and copying it and pasting it. And why didn't you just leave it in an email? And, you know, yeah. You got a blah, bit blah, of a blah. dance to do. Yeah. That's uh, true. And all I wanted to do was put my, you know, airplane reservation number into Vesper so that when I get to the airport, I, I can type this six letter code in and I know where it is. Yeah. Um, but on the other hand, the, I think one of the reasons we got away with it is that one of the things, you know, we were looking to, you know, we see this as replacing is like a notebook that you put in your pocket or something like that. Mm -hmm. Like the fact that we went iPhone first is not coincidence. And I think the iPhone version is the one that is most usable without sync because it's just like a little thing in your pocket where you can. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I end up using it like digital field notes kind of thing. I've never carried your field note stuff, right. but, uh, I actually put my shopping list in it, which is kind of suboptimal. You know what I mean? Like there's shopping list apps and I've got them and you can type them in and you, you know, you can check them off, but I just end up using Vesper and like right. <laughs> manually deleting a line or two. Right. Uh, I just cause you know, everything's in there. I used to use notes. Now I use Vesper. So good work. <laughs> <laughs> you know what though? You, I, I, uh... I've used it for that too, but for certain things. But then, see, as soon as you mention that, people people love list apps, and list apps are hard, like a good list app. And there's yeah. so many cool features that you can do in a list app if it's really about lists. And that's we have a slew. There's like a whole uh, uh, family of feature requests for Vesper that are all about like shopping list style stuff that I don't yeah. know that we'd ever even really do because it's almost like a different genre of app. A yeah. great genre of app and a useful one, but one that is sort of, it, it's removes, it takes away from the simplicity. I agree. Um, I have a bunch of them, but there's a bunch of great ones. Uh, Ita is, I think, currently my favorite. Right, from, from uh, uh, Mohawk. Uh, yeah, Nice Mohawk. Nice Mohawk. Yeah. Um, go buy that. It's, it's like dirt cheap. It's like two you bucks. You call it Ita. I call it Ita. But maybe it is Ita because it's only one T. The name of the yeah. app is ITA. Yes, ITA. Yeah, but I guess it, if it was if they wanted me to say it, I have always said Ita in my head, but I I guess that would require a second T. It's a weird name. To my understanding, yeah. Also, I think you get item from that. Like it's a it's a uh, whatever. It's an old school Romanish word, right? Like a man. What the hell is the name of that? So I, Ida, 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 Ida. Ida, because uh, I'm pretty sure it's you get a strong. Well, who cares? I don't so know. Ida, Ida is strong. for lists. It, it is actually, to me, a very good companion to Vesper because it, yeah. it, in the same way that Vesper doesn't really have list specific features, it, uh, Ida, doesn't have note features where there's no way that you can, 
Um, you can't just write arbitrary text in like everything. right. There's no way to say, well, this one item I want to put a whole paragraph of text in. No, all you get is you know like what you can fit on one line of 16 point Helvetica. Uh, I I have a list in Ida that I use every single time I travel. Every time it's just pack list, and it's just everything that I might want to take on a trip. That's and a good idea. Actually. Then when I leave the house, I just re uncheck all of them. And then every time I go anywhere, I just go through this list. And some of them I want to pack and I don't check them off till I pack them. Others, like if I'm going to Montreal, I obviously don't need sunscreen, <laughs> but I'll just tap it because I don't need it. Either right. I, so every time I tap it's one of them, consider these, right? Right. And, and then every time I've left and forgotten something like, oh, I forgot blank, then I add it to that list. And I, at some point, you know, like within like, eight months of using that list, I'd forgotten everything I could possibly forget. And so now I've got a list of everything. Uh, and ever since, I've never once forgotten anything of uh, importance. That's great. That's a good idea. That's yeah. uh, like Merlin level yeah. life hack tip. It's good, good work. Yeah. Merlin will be calling in later, actually, from the uh, life at the North Pole. Yeah. For the rest of the holiday, spectacular. Yeah. Um. So how was uh, 2013 for you? Let's, I mean, oh, let's, we are going let me take a second break. I'll take a yeah, second okay. break here. Yeah. I, cause I think we have like, cause it's a holiday spectacular. We have a bunch of extra sponsors. Yeah. Um, let me tell you about a second brand new sponsor, new to the show, HostGator, H-O-S-T-G-A-T-O-R. It's the best place to get a website, uh, premium web hosting at low costs. You can grab a .NET Best way to get a killer domain name that's not 180 characters. Um, HostGator offers 24 hours a day, seven day a week, 365 day a year, phone, chat, and email support. So that comes in handy this time of year, uh, Christmas, right? Who isn't setting up a brand new website on Christmas Day? Who isn't setting up a website on New Year's Eve? You get support from HostGator. Um, they offer hosting for any size site with shared hosting, VPS, dedicated servers, right? So VPS, that's like the like when you have like a virtual server. Dedicated is when the whole box is yours. So you can go from small site on a shared server to VPS to dedicated all within HostGator. Uh, and when you want to transfer, when you want to move your site to them or where you want to move from one size of hosting, one level of hosting to another, uh, their staff can help you move your site. Uh, They'll help you with your domain name. You can get your own domain name through them. So what do you do to find out more? Where do you go? Here's what you do. Head over right now to hostgator.com. Buy some hosting. Sign up for an account. Um, get yourself some .nets. And use coupon code TALK. Just four letters. T-A-L-K. And you will save an extra 25%. Uh, off anything you order, and you'll be supporting this show because HostGator will know you came from uh, this sponsorship by using that code. Once again, uh, HostGator.com and coupon code TALK. And my thanks to them for sponsoring the show. So uh, you're all up in the .NET. How come you went with .NET for Fireball? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I, it's, it's like a... 
uh, uh, probably some kind of mental deficiency <laughs> in my head. Because you've got the .com too, right? That's I do. I yeah. do have the .com. I, people used to ask me this all the time, and I think it's one of those signs of how Daring Fireball has sort of been around long enough that whatever is odd and unusual about it, people just accept because that's just how it is. Right. right. People don't complain about the color scheme uh, anywhere near as much as they did the first three, four, five years. First three, four, five years, every day somebody would complain about the colors. Now right. people don't complain about the colors. Now it's just that the, the text is illegibly small. Yes, but that's but see, but the <laughs> difference there is that they're actually right. The difference yeah. with the text size is that it's you know it's overdue for a, a gentle redesign with larger yeah. type. Actually, just do the uh, even on a Mac, I do the double tap thing just to center that column. And then everything's perfect. It's nice and big. But yeah, so .NET was a uh, – so this was, what, early 2000s, 2001, earlier? You know, I actually don't remember when I registered the domain name. It's possible yeah. I registered it a few years before the site ever launched because I had the idea – Met, you know, for the name, long, long time before I started right. the site. But remember when top level domains actually used to mean something? Yeah. See, and like that's sort net of, was like this is a non-profit thing. And no, see, I didn't, I didn't get that with .net. Well, you, in the okay, old days, yeah, or, or you're well, ahead of the game, then. like to me, .net was always like, well, this is an ISP. Yeah, you were the uh, the original ideas, at least in the U.S., was that you could choose between .org, yeah. uh, .net, and .com. Yeah. Like, I would feel guilty registering a .org, or I would have back in the day these days. I'd... Well, you know, but like Kotki has a .org, right? right. And it's exactly. it, and yeah. it speaks to the fact that back then it was a little, you know, it was a little nebulous when you registered a personal site because it didn't fit into anything. .org was meant for like nonprofits or something like that. Like, like yeah. you know, like the Red Cross would be right. clearly, like, clearly a .org. Yeah. .com was for... Com for commercial. It was for a commercial business. Yeah. And, you know, Kotke's blog wasn't commercial at first. Daring Fireball wasn't at first. Um, and .NET was for, like, things related to the network itself, like ISPs or, like, a, some kind of, you know, like a DNS server or something like that. Sure. And yeah. so if it was just, well, I just want a site to host, you know, my stupid rants about the Finder. <laughs> it didn't fit into any of them. But the one that I thought I always thought, and maybe I'm misremembering this, but I seem to recall that they that I can or whoever was in charge yeah. of them, that .NET was the first one where they were like, ah, forget about that networking thing. You just use this one for whatever. And oh, so to cool. me, it sounded just semantically like, well, there's org for organization, com for commerce, and then there's net for like the internet. Yeah. And so to me, .NET always felt like the one that was the most neutral. That makes sense. I could buy that. It just seemed to me like it just meant you're on the internet. Like it's, yeah. you know, and I know that they've since added it. They've since added like a .web, which I don't think anybody uses any of the. No, I don't know. But like well, it, unless HostGator sells that, in which case. Although I probably wouldn't have gone with that either because to me the web I, is specifically HTTP in a web browser and yeah, I never knew. both know way too much about this shit to mix up a domain name with the server's name, right? Right, exactly. But the service goes at the front. It's either FTP dot or www dot. Right, and who's to say that it's always going to be a website, you know? I mean, it yeah. could, in theory, it could be, you know, you know, they look at something like the magazine or, or you know, the Loop magazine yeah. where they've got, you know, they're publishing in apps, but they need a domain name for, you know, 
sending people to. So I don't know. I probably wouldn't have gone with dot web, but I, I that's why it's during fireball.net as the mm-hmm. primary domain and the dot com, which I registered at the same time is always just forwarded over. That's good. Well, I mean, I commend you not just going with dot com. I mean, mine's what kickingbear.com and I went with com just because whatever it, it's, it had that, it was years and years ago, but it had that, uh, cachet of like, well, this is what the big kids have. Hmm. So I can't tell you, I, I am glad. Which is why I think .com just filled up immediately, right? And it's kind of silly. It's, yeah. it's totally arbitrary. So. And you you know the way. I mean, you know very well how, how easily I will piss away money, right? Yeah. I'll piss away money on anything. I'll piss it yeah. away on booze, blackjack. I mean, you know, the shine, anything shiny. Yeah. I'll just throw money at. But I'll t- you know. You actually it, bought me a shoe shine <laughs> and, and a cocktail. Exactly. You weren't wearing shoes at the time. Yeah. <laughs> uh it, it, I think it cost me like, I don't know, $12 a year to keep renewing during fireball.com. At least, you know, and at some point I was smart and just registered them all for, you know, six, seven years. Although I don't know if that's smart because six, seven years from now, who knows? I'm, I'll freaking forget to renew. But, you know, it, it's well, like, you got to keep, uh, yeah. I mean, you can't give up.com at this point. No, no. Um, and it was, but I, but, but originally I came really close to not registering it because I kind of had the intention. I'm going to publish it.net. And I thought, should I buy the .com too? And I thought I'm not going to use it separately. Cause that would be confusing. Like if I had a podcast at daring fireball.com and a website at daring fireball.net, well, that's confusing as hell. Nobody would do that. Um, and I thought, well, maybe I'll come to regret it and I'll switch it over. If I ever decide maybe I should make .com primary, I'd like to have it, I'll do yeah. it. Uh, and I, that was sort of why I did it. But then in hindsight, it's very clear that it was smart to do it because some jerk would have done it. And, oh, and yeah, there's, yeah. I think yeah. that there's a whole bunch of other daring fireball dot blah, 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 you know, weird, insert weird-ass domain here. Uh, I think somebody has the .org. Really? Yeah, which I decided not to get because I thought, you know, one's enough. Um, but it would be, oh, you know, a perfect way to scam people. And he puts his name right on it. What's I don't that? say his name. Well, I don't know. Now I feel like we're going to get back to, like, shaming yeah. people on the internet for right. no good reason. Um, it's funny because Safari just froze up on me. So I don't know what's there. Oh, really? Yeah. It's so it's somebody's site. It looks legit. It's not reprinting your stuff, right? But it's I don't think it's up to date either, though. Uh, June twenty seventh, twenty twelve. Yeah, so it's not being actively used. No, but, but on the other hand, he's not being a dick. So right, you know, whatever it is, what it is. Right. Uh, yeah. So you can go there and make of it what you will. Yeah. Uh, go and go and post comments. <laughs> Um, poor bastard anyway uh, that was a bit of an aside yeah Uh, host gator yeah so go there and register your dot nets so how was 2013 of you (laughs) (laughs) I don't know I feel like it's a holiday spectacular yeah it's the time to sing songs and and look back and yeah um, I got the uh, you know the Wookiees uh from the Star Wars Spectacular, all lined up. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I saw a funny tweet about that. Somebody tweeted, uh, "It was oh, 
you know what? I never remember where these tweets come from, so I can't give people credit. But it was funny. It was like, do not whatever you think, however ironic, however much ironic fun you think you're going to have, do not watch the Star Wars <laughs> holiday special from 1977. You'll never get that hour back. Uh, you know what? I've never seen it, and after like I, I, every now and then it comes to mind. I'm like, maybe I should watch that. I saw five minutes of it years ago. Uh, I think Atrios, who runs a, a U.S. politics blog called Eschaton Blog, uh, years ago, I mean, like, might have been 10 years ago, linked to, like, a five-minute YouTube clip of it. And it was enough. Like, yeah, that, yeah. that was enough. I just, yeah. I mean, for as much as, uh, like, that hand not shooting first kind of ruins the character, I just I have a feeling that, that special is just going to really sort of ruin everything for me. Yeah, it's interesting because if you didn't know better, you would assume that somehow it was like a ripoff. And you might think, well, it wasn't, maybe it wasn't outright theft, but that there was some kind of bizarre clause in George Lucas's contract with 20th Century Fox that allowed them yeah. to do this. And that nobody is more upset about it than George Lucas. But, it, you know, George Lucas like, yeah, signed like off on it. The contract says, like, what well, we get an hour of TV time. Yeah, but he was like George, involved. George thinking like, oh, ads or whatever the hell. Right. And it turns into this friggin' awful special. Right. And like in the mindset of someone who only knew George Lucas at the time, like you maybe you even knew American Graffiti and THX 1138, which were great. Certainly, you know, far less well-known or mass market than, than Star Wars. Both but, great though, yeah. But both great, truly great uh, films that, 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 presage him as a you know the genius that he yeah. you know is he was really one of the great 70s filmmakers exactly really we, was we get that now but 70s was an awesome period and he was way up at the top you know and and you know followed star wars up he didn't direct but he you know certainly you know he, he like quasi directed you know empire strikes back and even empire even return of the jedi great great movie finished the great trilogy but in hindsight, knowing a lot of the oh, and Raiders of the Lost Ark, which he right. wrote and you know, you know, collaborated with Steven Spielberg on this great run of amazing movies and stuff that you know guys like us still talk about endlessly to date. The Star Wars Holiday Special is the clue to the guy, <laughs> the guy who did Howard the Duck, the guy who, yeah. the guy who did the second trilogy, the guy who did Jar Jar Binks. Yeah, like it's all there. It all makes sense in in hindsight. Like it, it, you take his whole career in in retrospect, and you think yeah. you think, well, now the holiday special makes sense. Yeah, it's like he had a Zen garden, and like yeah. every pebble perfectly placed, little bonsai trees, and there's just a turd sitting in the middle of it, and you're like, yeah, it's kind of weird. Which is our the, the the special. Yeah. And then you know, thirty years down the line, the whole thing's just a freaking litter box. How was my 2013? I think it was pretty good. I think it was pretty good. I I would say I'm pretty pretty proud of and again, I don't mean to brag about it, but I you know, it's Brent and Dave no, who get all yeah. the brain. But you know, the whole Vesper thing worked out well enough and I've had a lot of fun doing it. Uh, you know, and I've never if there's anything n nagging in the back of my head at all times, it's that I don't want to get complacent because Daring Fireball has become so successful. And I it, it, right. to me yeah. Not only is that dangerous and that it could lead to me, you know, 
losing relevance, you know, and, and losing the, the, the success that it's had, but that it's, you know, it's just no way to go through life. Like you can't, you know, you should never rest on your laurels. You should always be, you know. Yeah, no, I agree. I'm, I was, you know, like all of you guys, and I was happy to see Vesper do well. And I don't know, it's kind of easy to say like, well, it's, you know, Whiskus may not have a huge profile, but you know, you and Brent have a uh, large following. So, you know, people are going to pick up the app no matter what. Uh, and you've got a platform in which to pimp it, but that's actually just a pretty good app. So congrats on that. Uh, I guess I'm, I'm trying to say, like, I don't think the success is predicated upon your fame. It's, I don't know if you would have had the scale. Uh, well, and we wouldn't have had, the, we, we wouldn't have had the, the quality is, is there, you know, we I mean? wouldn't have had the opening weekend that we had. Yeah, I think I was talking about this with uh, Jalkit last week. But yeah, you could have been. You know, I really do firmly believe that in the long run, the app has to speak for itself, and no doubt in my mind whatsoever. Of course, I'm. I mean, I'm not ignorant. You know, me having during Fireball and Brent being Brent Simmons, obviously gave us a leg up in terms of initial um, publicity, but uh, in the long yeah, but- run, that's that does that can't sustain the app. Yeah, I don't know what your graph looks like, but we had a huge opening, and then you know, it looks kind of depressing. <laughs> like it totally nosedives. Uh, not not that embarrassingly, so not that, right. like, we're not doing business, but like the opening weekend kind of thing is, uh, you know, you can tell why movies bank a lot of their it, it is bang su- on that kind of thing. The mm-hmm. app business is surprisingly getting, I think, more and more like that, and it's you know because of the you know just the nature of. Well, it's pop software, right? right? It's like you you get the you get the big out of the gate push, and then after that, you got to spend a lot of money on ads. Do you know what? I'll tell you. Even just as recent as like when I was at Barebone Software from two thousand to two thousand two, uh, I mean the internet was certainly a thing. I mean it was you know it was two thousand. I mean the internet had been out for a while, and website publicity was important. But we definitely still saw major spikes when like Macworld reviews came out in, you know, print, you know, yeah. that was a big deal because there were an awful lot of people who that's when they found out there was a new version of BB Edit. It was when the, you know, three months later when the version of Macworld came out with a review. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, you know, if you go to the Macworld Expo, uh, you can kind of see the skew of the like the the demographic there kind of skews older right. a little bit, you know what I mean? And these are diehard Mac people, and they have been for like twenty, thirty years. Uh, and it used to be that yeah, MacWorld was the go-to place where you get any kind of uh, you know recognition at all. Even then, though, there was definitely a spike when new versions came out because I and the thing I remember and it was visceral. Was that at the time BB Edit shipped a lot of hardware copies, you know, like actual boxes with a right. CD and a, a printed user manual, uh, and like when we'd had like a major version, like I think I think 7.0 was the biggest version when I was there, which was like the first native for Mac OS 10 version, mm-hmm. and I just remember like when the boxes came in, it was like, and it was kind of awesome. It was a thing. I yeah. actually miss it because it was like, well, holy shit! I had, I, I, you know, I played a part in that. Like, yep. and it's, it was just a mountain of physical objects, like, tr- like a truckload of boxes. Yeah, and it was like, wow. You must have had that thrill when you go to a store and you see something that you helped create. 
like on the shelf in a physical form. Oh, that was it was true with BB Edit because yeah, because uh, yeah. yeah, and it you know, I love that. I still have box games that I worked on like years ago. They're like on my bookshelf. Oh, I still have all the BB Edit manuals, especially I have all the ones from before I worked there too. But I mean, the, one, <laughs> the, one, the one I'm prouder of the ones that 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 my name is in the, the credits for. Um. But yeah, it was totally cool like to go into the uh, first couple of you know, like the Apple stores in Massachusetts and see BB Edit on the shelves. Yeah, that's awesome. I used to go in and and do like what people do like in bookstores when they have a book. I'd go in and make put it, put the BB Edit like in a better spot on the shelves, like low, have, lower it down so that it was like reachable. You know, they put it up actually, on, the, yeah. <laughs> on the top shelf. You'd be like, no, 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 I'm gonna put that on the lower shelf. Yeah, I've done the same thing. Can't do that these days. Can't just stick around to the app store and uh, get, <laughs> get, some, get some better placement. Right. Imagine <laughs> with all the conversations we've had recently about jackassery or, or you know, gimmicky moves in the app store. <laughs> Imagine <laughs> if anybody could just go in and move around your app. <laughs> it would be kind of fun in a Wild West kind of way. Right. But uh, probably not great. Um so wait, yeah, let me follow up a little bit on that on that Jelka one star thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, so your comments, I saw the. I don't know how to. I'm, I'm trying to come up with a phrasing for this. Uh, somebody who's been at this for a long time uh, sort of colored your comments as being anti-developer. Yeah, uh, the fact that you call uh, for a one star review. Um. I don't think it's anti-developer because, again, like we've just been chatting about, you are a developer and you get plenty of one-star reviews for, well, sync is missing. Right. Which is clearly, I don't think you should be getting one-star review for that. Well, but at least so, it's true, yes. right? It yeah, is yeah, yeah. true. Yes. I mean, and so if you really think that that makes it one-star, at least you're, you know, it's it is, not. Yeah. It, I, I totally agree. I, I totally agree. Huh. And I actually read all of the reviews we get for, for Napkin. And even the low ones, I actually find super useful. You know, like getting a one-star review for missing sync is actually informing you in a way. So I don't think your call for the one-star thing was anti-developer. I do think it was maybe a bit of a dick move. Maybe. And it comes back to um, what we talked about before about what happens when you have a major platform like exactly when you're yeah. in charge of buzzfeed's 100,000 subscriber twitter feed and you're drawing attention to a woman's tweet about africa that right. she thought was only going out to her 200 followers yeah and i will say this too I guess not, again not to defend her but that it is also very possible and perhaps even easy given that the last like 400 tweets she wrote went to 200 people to assume the next one would go to 200 people too you know, yeah. and that you just f sort of forget that you're one retweet away from going out to a hundred thousand. Exactly. And I'm cognizant of that. And I, you know, I worry, you know, like you asked me if I worry, I do a little because on the one hand I'm cognizant of it. And so I want to be a little bit more careful than maybe I used to have to be circa 2003, 2004, 2005. But on the other hand, I don't want to neuter the site and take all the piss right. and vinegar out of it. Yeah. No, no, I agree with you. I think, I, I do think that calling for the one star review is a bit of a heavy handed thing. Uh, 
only because of the weight that you throw around these days. You know, if there's only one thing I regret about it, and like, you know, I don't want to rehash the whole thing. But yeah, I, I did do. I did a lot more research about it, though. You know, not since last week, but before last week. But I, and again, you know, I agree with you. I think it's a shitty practice. Well, and like, like the yeah, one thing that I stuff. just, I don't know. And it was like something that I knew vaguely annoyed me. And I, it, it was like constant grain of sand in my eye or a pebble in my shoe. Every time it came up, but until I really studied it and looked into it, I didn't really realize just how often even I was seeing it, like Mm -hmm. just how often. And it wasn't, like I said, like when Dan Weinman on Twitter went through this irate project that I figured out, oh my God, this is the project almost everybody is using because this dialogue box, especially, you know, like with the no thanks at the bottom, you can customize all these strings and a lot of people do, but the, uh, the whole idea that it's three buttons, rate, ask me later and no yeah. thanks and that recipe is exactly the same basically. right yeah. uh and that it is uh that what no thank the code path for no thanks is don't ask again for this version but do ask again as soon as there's a new version of the app explains everything that had been going through my head for like two years on this right um and again uh See, that was the positive outcome. Right. Dan looked into it. Uh, the developer, uh, Longwood, Nick Longwood? Yeah. I think. I, yeah. I don't, I don't want to butcher the name. Uh, fixed it. Right. Basically, effectively towards your specifications. Right. So, and, you know, you know positive and I, outcome. And even though there's people who are still defending staunchly the old way of doing it, which is that in the app store, your apps get reset with each version – and therefore, there are people who do still support the idea that, yes, you should ask your users every single time, even if they said no thanks, which to me is crazy. Like, to me, well, that's okay. what... I mean, here's the thing, is that um, it's just a matter of design. There, this is not like anti-developer, pro-consumer right. thing. There's design. You, you design the software to uh, serve the requirements of the user. Popping up a dialogue box begging for a rating and even wording it in a way to sort of encourage higher ratings, that is not servicing the user. That is serving your own self-interest. Right. It's giving – it's, it's your problem. It is a problem. It's yes. your problem. It's not okay. the user's problem. Now, so the, the problem I have with uh, sort of the counterargument to, to your position is that it's not that you're being anti developer is that you're uh so maybe maybe a little myopically focused on serving serving the user hmm. which i agree is probably the right thing like i what i would like to see is everybody agrees that like yes popping these things up is bullshit and it it, it in no way serves the user just doesn't do it it helps the company survive and so maybe in a roundabout way, you can say like, well, you're going to get support longer. But at that moment, the user is not in any way interested in rating your app. And you're kind of uh, presenting them. You're interrupting. You're, at the very least, you're interrupting them, which is people bend over backwards never to interrupt the user with dumbass dialogue boxes. Right. I don't know why you do it in this case, except that, well, you feel it's essential to your business. And that's rough, but at least admit like, yeah, we made an anti-usability decision in order to support our business because that's the way we had to do it. 
Well, and like the, sort of like shareware, like the, back in the, the day. The irate recipe or or library, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Uh, and, and like I suspect it all along. I do think it was written in it with nothing but good intentions. Yeah, I don't I think everybody's acting. Uh, it just uh, there was a whole bunch of things that that he never thought about, and yeah. that everybody using it seemingly never really thought about, like that. Um, there really should be a way that you can just say, never show me this again. I really don't care. Yeah. And um, well, whatever he changed it. So, and, and like, for example, one of the things that I find maddening about it is that to me, it seems to pop up randomly, but apparently it's like, like the intention of that was, well, we don't want to bug you immediately upon launching the app because you just launched the app and you probably have something in your head that you want to do. So we don't want to interrupt you then. Yeah. And you know, that there's some, it tries to be intelligent about when it pops up, but, it actually just ends up seeming random. And There's I still never think, a good heuristic about right. interrupting a user. I still think that, to me, the my favorite example of this, and I just can't believe the timing of it, is the way that Kevin Systrom, the Instagram founder, was interrupted during his onstage right. demo <laughs> yeah. by his own app. And yeah. it's because they're using irate, and it was like trying to be clever about when it showed it to him. So no matter how many times he rehearsed it before, it like he ran into the heuristic that was like, we didn't yeah. want to bug you right away when you first updated and we didn't want to bug you when you first launched the app. So we just did it halfway through posting yeah. a picture while yeah, you're on he stage. Got a, yeah, he got a bad roll of the dice on that one. Right. Still handled, handled it with aplomb. If there's one that. thing, there is one thing. If I could do anything different, I don't regret raising the awareness of this. I don't. And I yeah. think it's good things have come of it. And I think they'll continue to come of it. If there's one thing I regret, it's the one star thing. Which and a couple people have suggested like a, an alternate here, you know, like idea, which would be like rate it, but give it like one star fewer than you think the app would otherwise deserve. So instead of giving it one total star, give it one fewer. If you would have given it four, give it three, or maybe yeah. and, you know, and mention that, mention right, that and maybe so like at least, yeah, right. if you're super annoyed by it, maybe give it two fewer stars. So give it three instead of five, or give it two instead of four, um, and mention yeah. it and be. You know, and and go over, you know, bend over backwards in your comments to say that it's, you know, otherwise a great app, but that you are doing it for this. Um, because I do think hurting the overall average rating of the app is an effective way to get developers to stop doing this. Because the whole reason they're doing it in the first place is because they're concerned with their ratings. I and agree. and I, <laughs> I think it is unfair to and and like you going back to your idea that 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 my whole stance is developer hostile uh well i think well, it helps that, right but that there's a perception that it is but what about the developers who have deliberately not done this specifically because even though they know that they would get more reviews and that most of those reviews would be positive and that you can do certain tricks with the way you word the dialogue to try to only steer people there who want to leave good reviews which I think is a shady practice, you know. I think it's it it steers the whole thing into even more SEO like spamminess. But yeah. anyway, yeah. the developers who've resisted doing this at all and don't have anything in there that pops up a dialogue to do it are hurt by the developers who do because it works. I agree. So you get an arms race, basically. right? So you make yeah. it so it doesn't work, and so, then everybody. And then I'm you know I think implicitly. It, it it helps the developers who've never done it in the first place. Yeah, I agree. And I, you, you you had a great talk with the Jughead last week about it, so I don't want to rehash the right. whole thing. I don't necessarily see the guiding 
So there's two ways of seeing that what you just called a shady practice, right? There's either you got in good reviews to give you a good star rating. Personally, I would rather, if somebody had an issue with the app, I would rather have them email me or like file a right. support ticket because I can deal with them and I can help them. Well, you know what? Let's get back to that. Cause that's Which is what point. I want to do. Right. Yeah. Okay. Hold that thought because Jalkin and I didn't talk about that. And I do think it's one of the interesting things that a lot of people don't understand about the app store for Mac and iOS. Right. Um, but let me talk about another sponsor. It's our old friends at MailRoute. MailRoute, uh, as everybody who listens to the show knows, they're a great friend of the show, longtime sponsor. They are the ultimate email service for email geeks. Easy to implement, fully customizable, gives you maximum control over your email, and it simply works. What is it? It's a service. You point your mail MX records at MailRoute. You keep your existing mail server, whatever that mail server is. Your mail goes to MailRoute first. All the spam and viruses, all the crap gets filtered out, and then it gets filtered onto your existing mail servers. Uh, so it's super easy. All it is is a filtering service that you do at the, the mail records level. Uh, no hardware to install, no software to install on your own mail server. It's just a filtering service that goes through the MX records. 90% of all email traffic is spam and viruses. It's all crap. MailRoute keeps all that garbage off your servers and out of your mailboxes. Uh, they have all sorts of case studies. Go to their website. I'll give you the address in a second, but go there. They have case studies and they have examples of organizations that went from, you know, three, four, five mail servers down to just one because 90% of what their mail servers were dealing with was junk. And once they started using MailRoute, the junk just went away. Uh, and then your mail server, all it has to do is actually serve the real email to your users, which is way, 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 way less stressful than having to do all the, the spam and virus filtering. Um, fully customizable. They have an API. So if you're a programmer, you can customize it through your own scripts. Um, uh, they have an interface for filter, you know, changing the filters that you can do through their own website so you can configure it in a sort of point and click sort of way. Um, truly customizable. They really know how nerds want to have everything just the way they want it with their mail. Um, how do you go? Where do you go to find out more? Go to mailroute.net. There's another one mailroute.net. They know what they're doing. Uh, <laughs> slash the talk show. And that way they will know that you uh, came here through the show. But it's a great service. Um, every week, I, I think it's why they keep coming back on the show, but I keep getting emails and tweets from people who are like, I've you know, signed up for it. I cannot believe you know, how accurate the spam filtering is. Gets it all. Very, very few false positives. And it's a, just a great service. Couldn't be easier. My thanks to MailRoute. So you were talking about... Um, asking users for reviews or, or email feedback. And this is a huge problem on, on the app store is that users will go there when they're either like a bug or a misunderstanding about the way it works or a feature request. And then they leave it as a review. And not only is that not really what a review is for, especially if it's a bug, but, and I don't think people know this, developers can't respond to the comments on the app store. Like yeah, and I, I don't think that these people are acting in bad faith. I think that they don't know what to do. They don't right. know where to and, go. And posting reviews is a perfectly reasonable thing to do. I just can't help you. And right. 
I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, and it's super frustrating when it's like a known issue that you have a, a workaround for, or you know what's causing it. And if you know if they wrote email, you could write them back. And it's like such a frequently asked question or frequently hit bug that you have like a text expander snippet that explains mm-hmm. it all to them. When you see it on on an app store review and it's just their you know app store pseudonym, you you can't get in touch with them. And there's yeah. no way to you post. You know what? It goes both ways. Uh, I've seen this one review. Uh, it's our only one-star review. And um, I feel a little bit bad. Originally, it was posted as a five-star review. And it said uh, app crashes all the time on a red, uh, MacBook Pro. And it doesn't. I mean, we haven't seen that. One of the – like Chris, my partner, has a retina. I, I don't know. So I don't know what's happening. And then I cracked a joke on Twitter about it. And then the guy reposted it as a one-star review. And it's good for him because it's true. Like, if he's having that experience, it's bad. I can't help him. I don't know. And so it's not like I can give you a text expander and fix this. I want to know what the hell is going on with your thing because maybe this is affecting other people. Right. This is, is that all? It's like, you know, when you get a letter to a politician, you're like, well, that counts as 10 people getting pissed off. or Right. You know, like – it counts. Like I, right. I actually want to fix these issues. Right. No, and it's you know it's true with radars at app with Apple where you know just because you know other people have filed it, they you really should file the dupes because yeah. it gives them a sense of how many people are are encountering it. I I am I can't recall. I mean, it, nobody loves dealing. No developer loves dealing with tech support. Uh, but you do want to find out about bugs, especially. Yeah. Uh, you know, or at least you do if you take pride in your work. And getting duplicate bug reports is super helpful because it helps you prioritize them, right? If like mm-hmm. you suspect that there's one user who, when they increase the font size, and then they do something that they can't quite reproduce, but it crashes the app, it makes you a lot less likely to chase that down than if you've gotten in the last month eight bug reports all saying that they increased the font size. And then even though none of them maybe have the steps, but eight people have had the app crash after they've increased the font size. Then you right. you know you think, well, now this is – and maybe you can triangulate it from the steps that they did mention they did afterwards. That's the big thing is the triangulation. Yeah. Right. And again, it's not um, – prioritizing bugs isn't – it's not that any individual's problems aren't important. It's uh, sort of an aggregate effect, right? Like you, you need to sort of – like if there's one guy that's just crashing every time when he launches and it's only one guy, well, that sucks. I Here's your money back. I'd rather give you your money back. Uh, and if there's a bug that hits a couple of hundred people uh, – that's probably the better problem to address because, again, you know, we're both small companies, right? Like we can't – even big companies can't address everything. Have, we, have we mentioned so. Napkin? Have we said Napkin by name? Because people might be confused. that you're, The app you're talking about is a Mac app called Napkin, and that's – Yeah, and, I might have and, dropped it, but yeah. I, I, you and again, Chris Parrish do it, and your, your company is aged and distilled. It's yes. a great app. I've, I've yeah. mentioned it in LinkedIn, and I use it all the time. I use it whenever I bug Whiskus with UI reports. Not to make indie development sound cooler than it really is, because you know, I mean, it's you'd be a computer programmer, but it can <laughs> like fixing bugs or trying to identify a bug can be like being a detective, you know. And bug reports are your like crime reports, and you you know use them to solve the crime and figure it out. And you know, 
when there's a hundred of them that sound like it's the same criminal, that's a case that you're more interested in than like you said, like a, well, one guy, you know, got mugged. Right. Well, I mean, like anything, more data, more possibility they're going to figure out what the hell is going on. Right. And it is, you know, again, it's like being a police, it's like being the police department where you, you know, you solve the crimes that are affecting the most people first. Yeah. And you get shot at too. Right. <laughs> Before you head for the utopia of the bugless app. <laughs> exactly. Um, How was your 2013? It's good. not fair not to reciprocate. Uh, good. It's fun. Yeah. I don't know. Um, I don't know if you listen. I, I do the debug show. I know you've heard a couple of. Uh, I listen every week. I, I think I might have missed the last week. You don't you really. Don't. It's Vicky Murley. <laughs> well, that's great. I did not know that. Yeah. She's, she's awesome. Oh, she's super awesome. Yeah. Uh, good stuff. All about WebKit. Right. And, uh, you know, worth listening to. Uh, uh, Daring Fireball readers might vaguely, if they're thinking I've vaguely recalled the name Vicki Murley, she just published a book. Uh, what was the name of the book? CSS Transforms. CSS Transforms. I'm it's, totally it, guessing at that, but yeah. I'm right. Sure, yeah. But it's, CSS Transforms, yeah. It's like a fancy schmancy, it's this great self-evidential, I don't know what's the word for that, but it's like, it's an iBook full of CSS Transforms about yeah, CSS so Transforms. Yeah, so she's uh, the former Safari technology evangelist from Apple. Right. And, you know, gave, and other, you know, anybody who's been to WWDC and gone to WebKit sessions over the last five or six years has seen her give some of the best uh WWDC sessions I've seen. Yeah. So that's great. Uh, so, you know, we've been doing a lot of that. I've been actually having a, a blast doing that show. Yeah. Uh, What's her company now? Sprightly Books? Is that the name of her, it? Her company is Sprightly Books. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. right. She so left well, Apple to, to start her own neck. ebook publisher. Right. She was neck and neck with uh, Syracuse and his review for uh, OS X Mavericks <laughs> at the time. She was <laughs> right. Syracuse, he's, he's dressed an elf in the green room here, and he's shaking his fist. But. Yeah. I just got a report. Somebody just, they just told me from the green room that Moltz fell asleep. I don't, you, have you, did you see him hit the eggnog? <laughs> I'm not quite sure what the explanation is. I don't know if it's past his bedtime or if, if, if he was practicing too much. But Moltz is asleep. We'll see if he'll wake up. But we're running short on time, so we may have to cut a few of these. Other. Yeah. Holiday spectacular, daring fireball. Yeah, talk, Dan, Dan talk Frommer's, show. Yeah, Dan Frommer's looking a little bit in the bag at this point. <laughs> That's actually just how Dan looks. Yeah, it could be. So whatever, he could be good to go. Uh, anyway, yeah. So debug's been great. Uh, the you know napkins been doing well. Uh, do you guys do a debug every week? It's every two weeks. Every two weeks. Yeah, it's I couldn't do it every week. Uh, but- I mean, you know how it is, like. <laughs> 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 no, but you know, like I you, do know how it is. I, you know, I keep, you call up a bunch of your buddies and we shoot the shit. But uh, ostensibly, the talk yeah. show is weekly. But I keep watching all of these other shows catch up to me in version or episode numbers, like the ATP guys, like because those guys are, all have their shit together and they do. I think they do a show every single week. Yeah, uh, what do you call it? Whiskus's show with uh, unprofessional, with right? Dads. With uh, forget his name but anyway whiskers show alex yes. Tri- alex Tryman. Alex right. Tryman. Yeah. um is like weekly like clockwork uh 
and even uh, Amy and Paul's show, which they only did like 13 episodes of, but like ev- the 13 weeks that they did it, it was like every Monday at like four o'clock Eastern, a new episode came out. I keep watching these shows gain on the talk show in episode numbers, and it, I feel a little a little bad about it. Yeah, but it's a quality game, right? Which is why you have me on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, I wish we were out of stuff to talk about, but I, uh, no, that would have been you, a good point. Gotta, yeah. Uh, uh, you had a good 2013, so Napkin's doing well? Yeah, Napkin's doing pretty good. Uh, I, I'm thrilled, like you, to be featured in the best of 2013. That was great. Came out, had an editor's choice. It was great. Uh, got a lot of stuff that we got. Oh, you guys got an editor's choice. Yeah, when we came out, we had an editor's choice, yeah. And we had the most important editor's choice. We got, uh, the, you pimped us. Well, we didn't get an editor's choice. Oh, really? No. Huh. Well, that's 20, <laughs> 2014. Uh, you'll get one. You know what? You got to add some sync. <laughs> you know what? Honestly, I think that's actually very fair. I do, actually. I think that that's... I don't know. I don't know how fair that is. That's perfectly um, reasonable. Anyway, so I've got like a list of... I don't know. It's my it's my like goober beef list, I guess. I don't know. It's stuff I want to talk to you about. Uh, so the Mac Pros came out. I wanted to talk to you about that. So, do you have any opinions on these? Yeah, I, I ordered one. And I what spent did you order? Too much money. On. Uh, when? Well, the, what? No, what? Oh, Which, so what did you get? I ordered it like three thirty in the morning, the night that it came out, basically effectively as soon as I can. Uh, let me look at the. And the insane thing is I can't actually remember the details of <laughs> short configuration <laughs> details. Uh, so a six core, 32 gigs of RAM, 512 uh, flash storage, uh, and dual D500 video cards. Hmm. And I got my user guide in English, <laughs> <laughs> which cost me an extra two bucks. You know what I did do, which is insane? I bought a magic mouse and an, an Apple wireless keyboard with it. Which Why? added up to like another hundred and some odd dollars. Because you don't have a mouse or keyboard? I do. I'm just an idiot. I don't know. I'm like, I'm getting, I'm spending this much money and it is like, it is way too much money to be spending. Yeah, I what's, saw, a, what's another, you know, hundred bucks to I get? saw that somebody tweeted, and I don't even know if it's a joke. Uh, you could probably tell me though, but somebody tweeted that uh, as you go through, you, you say, here's my base model. Now I'm going to configure it. And in the configuration steps, they're like, D- do you want to throw in an iPad? <laughs> yeah, they, they do have that. <laughs> Is that real? That, so yeah. that just, it's like, and they were like, you know you're ordering Apple's high-end product when tossing in an iPad is there with, like, mouse and keyboard. Do you want to just throw in a $700 tablet? <laughs> ah, what the hell? Yeah, it's pretty crazy. I mean, they've got Final Cut Pro and Ten and all that in that list, too, which right. makes sense. But, uh, yeah. Um so I came under five grand, hmm. totally configured. Except then I paid tax on it. Ooh. So there's federal tax and well, what we call federal tax and provincial tax. It's probably uh, like what, like a thousand dollars? Yeah, seven hundred and forty bucks. Yeah. So it came out. Uh, that's a lot of money. Frankly, I don't think I'm ever going to buy a Mac Pro again. I haven't received this one actually, but uh, I, you know, I think for like a lot of the work I do, an iMac is great, but. I am super excited about this because it is a new thing. Yeah. Uh, it's just a new way of looking at how to do these kind of computers, and that fascinates me. As uh, as I much as like an iOS device, this just it gets me excited. I yeah. saw somebody post on Twitter, and again, don't remember who, 
but somebody could do the work. And I think this is one of the most interesting aspects of the whole thing is that the, the, like, if you leave it plugged in all day and, you know, I think let it go to sleep or whatever, but using it, like you, you can save, you might save like a thousand dollars a year on energy versus a similar Uh, macro. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or like the similar, you know, same basic Intel chipset, but you know, in a Dell or an HP or something like that, because this thing is so, you know, iOS inspired in terms of like power efficiency, you know, and, and, that's, yeah. and it's, you know, it's, to me, it's one of the most under appreciate, I mean, like with, with battery devices, whether it's a laptop, like a MacBook or an, a phone or iPad, the battery thing is, or the energy thing is easy because it directly correlates to battery life and battery life is very, very important to the actual usability of the product. Right. Whereas with a device like a Mac pro that's plugged in energy use is, you just don't think about it. Like I right. don't really think about how much money I pay per year because I have a MacBook pro at my desk that I never unplug, right. but it costs something. And it's actually, you know, computers actually use in general speaking, they actually use a lot of energy. Yeah, they're one of the higher draw devices in your right, and it's not just about yeah. being good for the environment and everything. It's like you can actually save some dough, you know. And if you, you know, I think yeah. it's, you know, I mean, I, you know, saving the environment, good, right. Uh, and you're probably planning to dough, use this. You actually, get to see that, right? Yeah, and you're going to use this thing for a couple of years. Yeah, so if you uh, save more than a couple, yeah, this is going to be a workhorse for like a, you know, I'm looking at like five years kind of thing, which is why I didn't mind bumping up the the memory to 32 gigs, which is. So my, my current device, all my Macs are effectively dead, and I'm I've, I'm left with like a like a MacBook Air from 2010. <laughs> yeah. So this is like, you know, I'm investing in something. That, does the MacBook Air have a light up keyboard? Yeah, it does. Wow. See, my my MacBook Air does not. Mine is, but that's because mine's an 11. I think that's how old my MacBook Air is, and to me that sounds ancient. But on my desk, I have a 2008 Mac. Book Pro, which is five years old. It's crazy. I mean, at the time, it was, you know, like the fastest MacBook Pro money could buy. It was, you know, more than enough power for me. But I want to get a Mac Pro because I feel like if I buy a Mac Pro, I could probably buy one now and then retire on it. I honestly, for your workload, yeah, that I don't, you know, what's not not to diminish, but I mean, come on, like. BB Edit, well written software, and that you know what I need it for? I need it for Safari tabs. I need a, like a I need like an eight core Mac Pro f- just to keep all my Safari tabs from slowing down BB at it. Yeah, Safari tabs are the worst. Well, tabs. Are, you know what? I don't like tabs. I use them constantly as in web browsers. They make finding anything fucking impossible. Yeah, I well I say that, and I'm looking in my window menu now. I've also got at yeah. least thirty. Safari windows open. Thirty? <laughs> That's well, yeah, no, maybe like, twenty, yeah. but it's a lot. Uh, yeah, I've got like, you know, probably 12, and in each one is like three tabs. It's crazy. What are you going to use for a display? Uh, okay, so here's what I, here's the, my beef with you. Um, I'm going to stick with my 27 inch uh, Apple display. See, I, so, the, my problem is I don't have a modern Apple display. Mine is like, you know, it's like only 20 inches, and it's. Okay. I mean, so the 4K display that they pimped, uh, what was it, Sony? Sony? Sharp. Sharp. Uh, I'm, I, I honestly just don't have the money to drop like 10 grand on a computer and 
right. 4K display. Like that is that's asking a lot, right? Uh, so no, I, I'm not going to buy that. Plus, I don't like the look of it. Um, yeah. Now, you in your post, uh, I've got it here. Uh, no surprise, 4K cinema display announcement. First of all, that probably should have been Thunderbolt display because they haven't called it cinema display in a while. You amateur. <laughs> I don't really follow this stuff that closely, guy. <laughs> no, you're right. Everybody still calls it cinema display. It's like calling them power books, right? Um, but you said, all joking aside, I'm disappointed and a little baffled that Apple doesn't yet have a 4K display. Yeah. It's unlike Apple to leave money on the table. It's that last sentence that I... Yeah, other people took issue with that too. And people, some people point out, well, then why the hell don't they sell printers, dummy? But see, to me, there's no money in printers. Like, yeah, I don't, I don't think it's smart. But I mean, Ap- Apple does sell displays. That's the thing. They do sell displays, but now they don't sell one that truly takes advantage of the Mac Pro. Yeah, but there's any number of reasons for that, right? Right. Uh, Best one I've you know, heard. It's, it's like, um, sorry, I, maybe you've heard well, it better. Before I just yammer at you. What, best one you've heard is what? Is that, and I could be wrong on this, but that it's just not possible for them to make a good 4K display yet. That that the 4K stuff that's out there is sort of more about like video playback, and it makes sense for like, uh, like film editors who are editing 4K footage to have a one of the current like the sharp one that they're selling or these Dell things and use that for editing your 4K video, but like for using it as what I want to use it for is a big ass retina display for just general computing. They don't, there is that there isn't a good, there isn't a way to make one that ticks all the check marks that you'd want it to check. Or that Apple would want it to check. Yes. Right. I, I agree with that. But I, that was basically going to be my point is like, they constantly don't do things that you think they could, uh, like, you know, they never did a, uh, what do they call a sub laptop thing. Uh, a netbook. Netbook. Never did a netbook. You know, you could argue that they're leaving money on the table. Uh, a lot of the iPod line for chunks of its life, they were leaving money on the table, especially before they got into the solid state, right. uh, low end stuff. Right. Well, or even then, why don't they make a two hundred and fifty six gigabyte one that they could sell for uh, an unbelievable sum of money? Because right. professional DJs would buy it because they want to be. They really want two hundred and fifty six gigabytes of music on one device. Right. So that was it. I mean, I, I just think that they can't make a display that they're happy with right now. I guess. I guess you're right. This is why I have you on the show to call me out. I <laughs> guess that's me. That's me being petulant and wanting whatever I want, whether it's feasible or not, right now. Yeah, that's kind of how I read it, which is why I want to call you out on it because right. I want that too. And I probably couldn't have afforded it, but I probably would have found a way to. You know, work the streets and like. Do you know what? I guess the weak spot for me, it's a weak spot for me, and it has been for years. And it's like been one of the things that's like united Caleb's or Cable Sasser uh, and I for years is an obsession with what is now called Retina displays. Hmm. But, you know, Apple's been on high, high DPI and get your Mac apps ready for high DPI long before they coined the term Retina display. I mean, even before there was an iPhone, yeah. there were WWDC sessions going back. God, it might even be close to 10 years now yeah. where they Kurt were like, did an amazing job of having a high DPI. <laughs> right. Like, I kind of feel bad for them because they put so much work into it. Right. Like I just want it. I just have always been obsessed with high resolution graphics. Like I remember, you know, when, when, 
600 DPI laser printers came out and just being like, we should take all the 300 DPI ones and just throw them in the garbage. And everybody was like, I don't really see the difference. I'm like, are you nuts? Let's just throw the 300 DPI ones out. <laughs> and then when 1200 DPI laser printers came out, I was like, finally, finally, I, you know, these fonts look right. Can you really tell the difference? I mean, how's your eyesight? Uh, you know what? I don't know if I could see it anymore, but when I was in college, I could definitely tell the difference. Between Cause you 12. have, you wear contacts, right? I do, but it's starting, you know, like my close, I see. I can see close up way better when I don't have my contacts in, and if I have my glasses on and I take the glasses off, I can yeah, see the way. Yeah, it's the curse of corrective. Right, it's like right. all of a sudden I can see the rem the way I remember seeing when I was a kid. Um, hmm. 600 versus twelve hundred DPI laser printer output was a little bit harder, and it was you know, hmm. you know, it depends. You know, especially if you were looking at like half tones for like you know, not not even talking oh, about yeah, color. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're looking at half tones, you could definitely see the difference. For yeah. text, it was a little harder, but 300 to 600 was huge. Uh, in my half tone has, has a dead giveaway, right? Because you effectively lose a bunch of resolution because you're just the way the colors are done. Yeah. yeah. Um, but the you know 1200 DPI, you could get such fine dots, and it would really, really make it just looked more like it really started to look like real black and white photography on film output on just black and white. Um, but anyway, I've been, I've been waiting for the Mac and, you know, all of my computing devices to go to effectively laser printer quality pixel size for forever. I've, yeah. you know, just, I just want it. Yeah. Uh, well, I so. mean, that's sort of the end game, right? Right. Like there's a limit to how sharp you can, your eyeballs can see. Right. Uh, once you hit that, you're done. Move on to other stuff. Uh, and I, you know, I just want the Mac to be, I still, I hear right though, that like Coda one being like completely retina ready. <laughs> that was awesome. I, I it's an I mean, awesome that's... technical accomplishment, but it was such a, it was wasted because there were no retina displays for it to yeah, run. Yeah. But that's why panic's panic, right? Right. It, it is exactly sweat. All of those kind of details, even if they never come to light that they've really sweated those details, they, they did it. Right. And it's not like, you know, like apps aren't like movies where like, you know, uh, you know, like it's great that Kubrick shot 2001 in 70 millimeter because you, yeah. now you can, even if you're watching at home, there's a great, is a much better resolution source to strike the Blu-ray from than if he had shot it on 35 millimeter film. Were all of the FX shots set uh, in 72? I think so. Uh, I, I, you know what I mean? Just sometimes like the effects guys or whatever, like they, they set it up differently in, in order to achieve mm, I think, a certain... Uh, I think everything we shot 70. Um, ah, but cool. I, you know, I, I, I could be... What do I know about Kubrick movies? <laughs> <laughs> right? But it, um, an app isn't like that because now that we actually do have Retina MacBook Pros, you know, you can run Mac apps on Retina displays, but only on these MacBook Pros. It doesn't matter what Coda One was because all Coda users are using Coda Two. Right. I'm not gonna say it was wasted though, because maybe it got the panic guys, you know, that the whole development team and their, you know, their designers were in a Retina workflow early. They developed their Retina muscles. Yeah, they were. They, but anyway, it's a weakness. Stuff, yeah. It is a personal. I'm so personally obsessed with it that it 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 makes me irrational about my when I expect Apple to provide it to me on all yeah. the devices. I, I wanted it. If you'd asked me before I saw the price tag on the thing that I, on the Mac Pro that I ordered, I would have said, don't worry, I will buy whatever Retina display, like cinema, Retina cinema display. Just give it to me. I'll, right. I'll, 
And then, you know, you see the price tag and like, yeah, this is just a lot of money, right? Yeah. And well, and it's also the sort of thing that'll probably be like, it's going to hit one of those over the, you know, price over time curves, like, you know, like plasma and LCD TVs, like when high def flat panel TVs first came out and first right. started getting popularized, they were, you know, a decent one was like 5000 or $6,000. And then very quickly, they were 4000 And then, you know, I forget how much I paid for mine, but maybe I paid like $2,800 or something right. like that. And yeah. then like within six months, my exact model, which I love, but all of a sudden it was on sale for $1,800. And then I just saw a thing the other day, just the other day, um, I think it was like a TV that Syracuse recommended, and it was it's yeah. like a like the Panasonic 60T plasma display, VT60, I think, yeah, yeah, and the what is it, the VT60? Yeah, that sounds. Uh, that's right. totally pulling from my programmer right. random and, code and remembering. The, the CNET review is like best TV we've ever reviewed. Great blacks, insanely expensive, and the con was insanely expensive, and it's fifteen hundred dollars. <laughs> Right. And, yeah. and, you know, and that's because in some sense that makes sense because you go into like a TV, you know, Best Buy or something like that. And there's all sorts of big screen TVs that are, you know, five, six, seven, eight hundred dollars. Yeah. No. But I expect that like, you know, I don't know if you even know if we're going to call them 4K displays, but, the, you know. Uh, the, I hope that they skip 4K and just go to whatever they call retina. Basically yeah. Double whatever those 27 inches. Right. The, the retina Thunderbolt display. And just double it and, you know, let me see everything and, you know, it'll, you know, let 4K be called the video format or whatever. And, then, you know, but yeah. and effectively double the pixels on like a 27 inch display. Right. That's what I want. That's, yeah, I want that too. Yeah. Right. I just don't think it's an Apple like that they didn't ship one when you right. want. Yeah. Right. That they're, maybe they're going to wait, you know, until the. Well, I think they'll wait till they have a good product, which is, right. you know, it's what they do all the time. So, right. so for those eight words, Jacuzzi. Yeah, I'm sure that there's also like the people, if there's anybody at Apple who's working on it, and surely somebody is, who reads Daring Fireball, I'm sure that I, I gave them an eye roll. And I'm very sorry for that. Get back to work. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you're a big Beyonce fan? That's what Amy said to me. She was like, I've never seen so much Beyonce on on your website before. And then And then I said, I laughed at her because it proved that she was actually reading my website. I, I I can't say I'm a Beyonce. <laughs> you know what? This is not a joke. I did not notice that you'd mentioned it on your website. Oh, well, I thought that was what you were making the joke about. No, I think it was just big news. So that's you know, I noted it to talk to you about. I didn't notice that you'd actually mentioned it on your website. Yeah, I mean, it makes she, se uh, makes sense to you because oh yeah, because you did the snarky thing, right? Yeah, the what? Yeah. The snarky. I mean, you got to. No, know. I didn't do snark. Did I? I thought I was serious. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know. What, what do you mean? mean? Yeah, you were serious, but you're like, uh, Target doesn't. But Target <laughs> will play the single of, I can't even find it right now. I'm going to They, they will it. sell you the MP3 single of the world's tiniest violin playing the world's <laughs> saddest Bitch, song. I did find one of your more satisfying jokes. Right. Because you're not a funny guy. Be right. So the, for those <laughs> who've forgotten or missed it, Beyonce somehow secretly like and you know it's one of those things where usually when a major artist is working on a new album everybody knows in advance well she had a, an entire album that she produced in secret nobody knew it was coming and it hit itunes as an exclusive uh and then you know with uh, here it is and a coordinated like social media campaign and it it sold like 800,000 copies of the whole album not like a single but the whole album yeah, in 3 days yeah. uh which is you know a lot and apparently it's, it's some innovative thinking about what an album can be 
in digital format because I think there's a video for every song. Um, I should probably should have bought it just to see, but yeah, that's what I just, I'm, I don't, but it's not no just, in her, so. it's not just eight or nine songs. It's songs mixed with video and they're all, you know, it's a, a bigger production than just the music. Yeah. You know uh, what I found you post your Ed was a uh, new iTunes exclusive Beyonce album sells 800,000 copies in the first three days selling music albums, not dead yet. So yeah, not, not too snarky. Right. It's when you go at target. <laughs> Well, because what happened then is that Target, it was, you know, that there it is going to be on a regular CD, I guess. Uh, and Target has announced that they aren't going to carry it because it debuted as an iTunes exclusive and that, you know, they're going to take their ball and go home. Even though her previous album apparently debuted as a Target exclusive for a week or a weekend or something like that. Which makes so it even funnier. a lot of yeah, like a lot of Apple. I don't want to use the word pundits, but whatever people that yap about Apple. Uh, I don't know. They were kind of pissed about this. Uh, like, a, you know, downplaying Target or this happens all the time. It's like that's the way business works, right? Yeah, I don't like, understand. Like when people get mad about exclusives, it it always boggles my mind. Like I mean, I'm not. I don't find it that. Disjoint. Uh, like, remember when Apple wouldn't sell that book about Steve Jobs that wasn't authorized? Right. Uh, yeah, kind of lame. But, I mean, that's the way the world works. There's no, like, ah, Target's being a total loser. And iTunes right. is, uh, it's, you know, it's ass behavior constantly in, our, in order to, uh, well, you know, accrue profits, basically. Right. And if Target can try to scare other artists from trying what Beyonce tried, then, you know, maybe it's worth it for them. Because I don't think it's about Beyonce. They're not trying to teach Beyonce a lesson. They're trying to teach people without her reach and her right. power. This like, no, do not screw with us. Do not try right. to do the iTunes thing because right. we will destroy you. And you know you're not going to sell as many as Beyonce did just right. on iTunes. Yeah, she can write her own check. And, and she's earned it. That's fine. She's huge. She's popular. Awesome. Uh, Target's just sending a message. Right, mob style, but you know. Yeah, but maybe that's you know. It's I'm not saying it's unreasonable. I'm just saying you know. It is funny. Nobody's crying for them. No, it reminds me. But I don't think they're asking for anybody to cry for them. Do you know what I remember? I remember. I I don't uh, think they're playing the victim. I think they're playing the thug. Effectively, the exclusive that I remember hurting and really, I forget what year this was. Somebody you know who would know. Syracuse would know. We'll have him mention it when he comes out for his thing. Uh, was he's got, he's got bells on his little elf shoes. Was Halo because yes. Halo in development was a Mac game because it came from Bungie, who had done the Marathon series, uh, and others. I forget the previous ones before Marathon, but Marathon was the big one. Like that, Marathon was to the Mac what like they did Myth too, but yeah, they they were, yeah, it, it, Marathon was to the Mac what Doom was, was to the PC. Right. Yeah. Right. Everybody who spent the 90s playing Doom, and, you know, if you had a Mac instead, you spent it playing Marathon. Yeah. And, you know, Halo looked like it was way more immersive and impressive in every way in terms of storytelling, in terms of graphics, etc. I honestly et think that was the first game that Steve ever showed on stage. I might have been. Might have been. Yeah. So, I mean, it was, and it was in, you know, the way that games are often promoted before they come out. Yeah, it was shown, I think, at a Macworld keynote or something yeah. like that. 
next thing you know, Microsoft bought Bungie, and all of a sudden, Halo, instead of being a Mac game, became an Xbox exclusive. Yeah. And, you know, again, can't. And I remember people saying, well, why not just sell the Mac version too? I mean, for God's sake, it was already, it, we're not asking you to port it to the Mac. It obviously was already written for the Mac. Uh, just sell it to us. Well, just take my yeah. money. But in hindsight, you know, you can see what, you know, and why, you know, correctly so they saw it as you know a franchise you know and something that would be a yeah reason. they wanted it to be a first party title they would sell eventually it did come to the pc and the mac also uh i've worked in that business and if you're playing a game that runs on a console uh 90 of the time it's also running on the pc because that's how we debug and develop it right like you got Photoshop in one window and you got the game running in the other window and with modern effective uh, pipelining techniques, you can like edit your texture in Photoshop, save it, and then the game automatically reloads it so you can see it in the world as you're playing. Uh, that said, just because it's running on the PC doesn't make it a product. Um, I think a lot of people confuse this with Apple stuff too. Like, oh, Apple's got X in the labs. Yeah, it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean that it's ready to ship. Uh, these games, and I bet Halo by the time it eventually shipped, probably did still run on PowerPC machinery and f because the Xbox One was PowerPC and the dev kits were G5s. Uh, that doesn't mean whatever software they had going was an actual product. And taking some software that happens to run on a piece of hardware and turning it into a product is uh, not a trivial task. Yeah. So... I don't know. I, I, I think Microsoft made a great call. I think they made the Xbox franchise based in a large part because of that first-party deal. Uh, and eventually, you know, the, the Halo guys, the Bungie guys have since split off and gone their own way. So, I don't know. I think it probably worked out well for everybody, except for Mac users who wanted an awesome game. And Steve, who probably felt pretty pissed about that. Yeah, it's funny because, you know, and even today, Apple has, I don't know, maybe, I think they, you could call it kind of getting burned, you know, with um, game previews. You know, what was that, that, it was like that Happy Ninja, what the hell is it called? Clumsy Ninja. Clumsy Ninja, uh, which was demoed like over a year ago. Yeah. And then didn't come out until like a, a month ago. Yeah. Did you try it? Uh, no, I don't think I did. It's charming. It's great. It's incredibly well done, and it is completely abused by the reality of making money on the App Store these days. Because uh, it's it, all like in-app purchases. It's free, and it's a bunch of in-app purchases, and it depresses me. Like I would have thrown a bunch of money at them, but right. I, I find the in-app stuff a little bit. It's too cynical, you know. Especially it's, when it's so blatant. You know? Yeah. Because yeah. what is it? It's like you what you pay for like special swords and stuff like that. Yeah, you get you know the guy the. Clumsy Ninja bounces up on a trampoline. Yeah. And if you want to get a trampoline that lasts longer or bounces higher, then, you know, you pay it. And it's the worst thing because it takes a, you know, the all-inclusive resort slash carnival cruise kind of thing where you don't pay money, you pay tokens. Right, right And you can right. earn tokens in a really weird way that's basically just grinding for hours or you can buy them. And so there's a disjoint between the amount of money you're spending and the, the tokens that you, you spend to get the goodies. I just it. I think it would. I think kids would love it. I think it's amazing. I like it. It's super cute, really, really well done, and incredibly cynical. And it just 
depresses me. That All right, why not that's just what take my to. five bucks and, you know. Well, you know, you know 20, what? 20, 30, just, right. you know, charge me some money and I, I don't know. I Do just, you know what does my heart well? And it's a game, again, I don't know. I've, I've watched quite a bit of it because Jonas is obsessed with it, but uh, Minecraft. Yeah. And you know what? To their credit, they don't nickel and dime you, uh, to my knowledge, at all. And I think that their app, I think that it was like the top grossing app of the year for 2013. I think from that app, apps of the year. And if not, it was close. Yeah. And it's just six ninety nine. It's and which is by App Store standards for iOS, uh, you know, a high price for a game. Yeah. And it's the deal is you pay six ninety nine and you get Minecraft on your iPhone or iPad, and that's it. Yeah. And you know. They made a fortune, or continue to make a fortune. Yeah, and I know well, that the when, PC when version. Comes out, you could, sh- you should talk to him about it because I think his kid is totally addicted to it. No, oh, is, totally. uh, is is Jonas into it? Oh my god, yeah. Okay. It's, it's, if if I didn't make him go to bed, he'd spend all day play, <laughs> playing it uh, on a MacBook while watching videos of other people playing it on his iPhone, which I, apparently is not just him. I've checked with other parents. Is apparently that's that's the way everybody plays. <laughs> like that you check. <laughs> well, it just seems it's, so. So wait, is my boy crazy? <laughs> right. Well, it seems it seems crazy to me. It seems it seems like hell on earth. It you know to me. I like my I couldn't I concentrate on either. But apparently that you know, the kids today multitask. Yeah, I think that's probably true for each. I don't want to. Oh, man, that's sounding. That's true for every generation. Like, yeah. well, I don't know how to say that without sounding like a I'm not passing judgment. Yeah. It just sounds right. to me crazy. But then once I found out that other people do it, and I can, you know, I can sort of see the logic to it. Yeah. The other thing, uh, I mean, and apparently there are about 30 or 40,000 hours of Minecraft videos posted to YouTube every day. Uh, what i don't know i might be exaggerating <laughs> i th- it, it's effectively infinite though where if you wanted to watch That's minecraft like videos sort of like china right. like all of, all of china is just making minecraft videos right but uh, other parents have reassured me that this is normal too is jonas will occasionally break out into hysterical laughter like the way that like i remember laughing at like caddyshack <laughs> <laughs> Like as though it's the funniest thing ever, and it's you know I don't know it's, it's Caddyshack was the funniest thing ever. So. Right. Well, I thought so, but apparently some of these Minecraft videos have it beat. I gotta check it out. I I, I feel that there's like a Lego component there. There's oh, I think the definitely. actual hook. You know what I mean? Yeah. You get these creepers. Is that what they call them? They come in. They come at night and try to get you, and the rest yeah. of the time you're building up so you can build defenses. I. Yeah, it's a total Lego mindset, and you know, and Amy has bemoaned the fact that he, it's it's he's a lot more interested in Minecraft now in the computer than Lego in real the real world. But I can't blame him because I think I would have been, and I think it yeah. it's not quite. I think we could get on a rant, and and they even have a cross licensing deal where there are like one or at least one or two Minecraft branded Lego kits. Huh. You you know, but there it's. Not a huge deal, but you you know there is like a thing where you can build like a little you know it's like a Minecraft type thing. But I actually think that if I don't even know if they could afford it now because Minecraft is so successful. But I think Lego would have been wise to buy them out if possible. Although it seems as though the guy who invented Minecraft is sort of independent minded. Yeah, everything I understand, he's not. What the hell's his name? 
Nosh uh, or something. Noir, uh, Nosh, yes, Nosh. I don't know. At no. Nosh on Twitter or something. Or... Um, notch. Notch. Notch, N-O-T-C-H. Yeah, and not a uh, capitalist-minded no. guy. Well, it, you know, it seems it, it's sort of like he's got like a healthy balance, you know? Like it's not like That's he's giving it away. It. He's not giving it away. It's not open source, but it is for sale for a, no. for yeah. sale for a reasonable price. I think that they're probably pretty careful about the brand. You know that they're you know would pursue somebody who who tried to print Minecraft T-shirts or something like that. But that the game is also eminently hackable. Mm -hmm. I mean, it is like. You yeah, know. there's all kinds of plugins and extensions, right? Right, and it's really, you know, it's just an old school. I mean, on the iOS, it's not because for obvious reasons, but on, you know, like on a PC, it couldn't be more old school. It's just a folder full of graphic resources, you know. And if you want to build your own, you just, you know, make your own graphic resources. So, you know, yeah. like Jonas has things where he's downloaded where it ch turns your avatar, you know, he's uh, Batman instead of <laughs> Steve or whoever. And he's got one where he's Doctor Who. And then it, people build levels, you know, like where there's like Doctor Who levels or other things. It's really kind of fascinating. And to me, it is sort of like Lego where people are able to build these things up. And it's, you know, I think it's a pretty cool game. I think it's I, cool I too because... but good feelings towards it. So. Right. And he spends, a, Jonah spends, a, a you know, an awful lot of time playing levels, but he also spends an awful lot of time building his own things, which I think is, you know... To me, that's it's great. Like, yeah, yeah, I call that good parenting. I haven't, I haven't, I haven't. <laughs> Stick the kid in front of a computer, fix a cocktail. And I haven't, I haven't seen him in four days. Oh man, you're the best dad ever. Yeah, <laughs> but I know he's here in the house. Perfect. Have you? <laughs> I've got the coffee mug to prove it that I'm the best, best dad in the world. All right. Before you know, we go, it's not the first time you've cracked that joke to me. Yeah, okay, sorry. Go ahead. Before well, we go, you know, the worst part is I don't even have that coffee mug. Uh, you don't deserve it. That's okay. I have one more sponsor to tell you about, and this okay, is great. Do you sponsor? Then let's talk about ads. Yeah, because the ads are yeah, it's you know, it's seasonal. Plus, we got to have all the tap dancing. Yeah, the song in the, the dance, right? Yeah. The 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 you know yeah the children's choir is going to come out singing right. harmony, peace yeah. and love to the whole world. Um, but before that, just before that, I want to tell you about Slingbox. Have you ever heard of Slingbox? Yeah, I have. They've yeah. been around for a while, and they're great. It's the only way to take your television experience with you wherever you go. Slingbox delivers all of your live TV channels, your cable TV channels, stuff that comes into your TV, and whatever's recorded on your DVR. It lets you take it wherever you are. You can take it to work. You can watch at your friend's house. You can watch when you travel to another city. Uh, when you're traveling, you just want to catch up on your TV shows that you know you have at home, right? So I could uh, record the Dallas Cowboys or I could watch Yankees games. Hotel TV doesn't cut it, right? Hotel TV stinks because, you know, you don't have your channels from home. You don't have your DVR. Who, who, who watches stuff right when it comes on the air? You, watch, you know, you tape everything, uh, which is what it's called when you record it to a hard drive. Uh, <laughs> Having a Slingbox is is the only way to take your content that you have at your TV and DVR anywhere in the world because it just you connect to your Slingbox from anywhere else and it's your remote computer or device connecting to your Slingbox in your house. 
And so you can watch it from anywhere and you're, you know, you're not circumventing anything. You're not, you're not breaking any laws or anything like that. You're only watching what you have the right to record at your house from anywhere in the world. But then for things like sports where it's all regional, right? You can't watch Yankees games if you're in England, right? But if you have a sling box at home, you can. Uh, other alternatives to Slingbox. Some of them only work on Wi-Fi or something like that. Slingbox will work over cellular networking. Uh, some of them, you know, like if you have specific apps, you know, like the Watch ESPN app, which you can download for the iPad. And it's a good app, but it it has all the rules of sports in your area. So there's blackouts when you're close to the team that's being played. Uh, if you're traveling there, right? If you don't have the right where you are at the moment, you can't watch it, even if you could if you were home. With Slingbox, you can watch anything you could see at home. Uh, and they have a great new app for the iPad called Sling Player. Um, it has a great way of finding shows, way better than any remote that you could use because you could just search for the shows if you know the name. Um, it's connected to Twitter and Facebook. You can see what other people are saying about the same show you're watching. Uh, and if you're a sports fan, if you use the sling player for iPad, it gives you all the live stats of the game that you're watching while you're watching it. Uh, so it's not a thing like, like Apple TV or rock you or something like that. Uh, Roku Roku. Is that how you pronounce it? Nah, you do your own thing. Uh, but it's better. It's something that you would, it really does make sense to add to your home entertainment center because it's really about remote access to the things that are already on your home entertainment center. Yep. And uh, they, uh, mm. they've done a lot of, I mean, they've been around for years now and they've yeah. done a lot of work to ensure that you do have this kind of access uh, in terms of sort of fighting the good fight. All right. So, and yeah. it's just a box, right? It's yeah. it's a, I, and I almost think it's such a brilliant name that the main thing is called the sling box because it's just a box. You I buy it, Perfect you hook product. it up, yeah. and you are already paying for home internet. It just connects over the internet that you're already paying for. So there's no monthly fees. You don't have to sign up for sling box service and pay a monthly fee. You just buy the box, hook it up, and then you can access everything on that box, which is everything in your home entertainment center from anywhere. Uh, they have a special deal. This is the thing, special deal for talk show listeners. Go to slingbox.com slash the talk show and you get $30 off and free shipping on a new Slingbox. That's slingbox.com slash the talk show and you'll save 30 bucks and get free shipping. It's a good deal. So you want to talk about ads? Uh, yeah, the, the the Christmas ads. Oh, the uh, like the uh, the Apple one. So Apple has the misunderstood. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, there's misunderstood, and then there's uh, Nokia, I guess, and Samsung. Yeah. yeah. Can you hear the bell choir? I do hear them. Are they warming up? They're warming up. All right. Well, then we'll get to them soon. I hope we don't run They're out of time. Getting agitated. Yeah. I'm worried that we're gonna have to bump. We're gonna have to bump Marco. Yeah. We'll get to the others though. I hope. If not, yeah. we'll do it. We'll see him next year. Yeah. Um, I think next year's probably a better bet. 
I think it's so crazy. I do think, and as time has gone on, and I've seen it a few times, I feel like the Apple misunderstood ad is really, it really might be the best ad Apple's done in a long time. I think I immediately said it was probably the best ad of the year. I think it's probably the best ad they've had in a couple of years. I really like yep. it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I liked it a lot. It it hit home for me. Uh, I know Andy and Atko got a bunch of grief on Twitter for not jumping on the bandwagon. Uh, that's fine. <laughs> I mean, I don't. I, it's well, it's like a good movie. Everybody doesn't have to agree. I exactly. Mean, right. Exactly. I mean, I think it hit the right notes. It certainly came at the. Uh, so there's two ways to. I mean, so the ad is basically a. What you imagine to be a grumpy teenage boy having his face stuck in his iPhone the whole time. Sol- sullen? Sullen. Thank you. Yeah. Sullen. Uh, yeah. Uh, just sort of like, not disenfranchised, but basically disconnected from his yeah. family. Like, ignoring life around him. Right. And not and, not really being as emo- seemingly as emotionally engaged with the rest of his family. Exactly. You know, as and, you, as and I mean, that's a common thing. I mean, you know, teenagers have been there, uh, and everybody's well aware of at least that stereotype of like that. I don't know, what too cool for school or whatever. The 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 way that you don't really want to connect with your family around the holidays, kind of thing. Right. But at the end, it turns out that what he'd been doing is filming a. Uh, really well, <laughs> doing an incredibly good job of filming a holiday movie that he then plays as his Christmas present right. to his family. Uh, I personally found it heartwarming and touching. I can see the argument that, like, well, he did, <laughs> regardless of the output, he did have his face stuck in his phone during all of the, you know, yeah, and yeah. I I would say that my response to that is well, what do you think if he didn't have an iPhone? If it had been ten years earlier, what do you think he would have been doing? He would have would he been playing a Game Boy? You know, would he have been reading you know a paperback book or comic books? Right. You know, I remember being that age, and I didn't have I was you know I'm old enough now where I didn't have handheld electronics, and if I did, I would have right. been buried in them. But I wasn't. Otherwise, you know, I was a lot more like that kid at, at a big family Thanksgiving or Christmas than I was, you know, a, a yeah. fully engaged social member of the family. Yeah, I think I still am. Uh, <laughs> at least my inclination is to be so, but I'm old enough that I'm like, you know, I'll, you know, pony up and join Take it. And- <laughs> yeah, you know. What I mean. No, but I, you know, you get older and you learn more. You know, to be. You, you, yeah, you, you know, don't be a dick. Like, just, right. You know, connect to people, and it's fine. You know, I think there is a. You know, the it, I ad think ultimately, it's selfish to be that self-absorbed, right? And that's typically teenager thing, right? Right. That, that's fine. You know, and yeah. and the family in the ad runs the whole gamut from smaller children, three, four, five years old, to him, the teenager. And then there's a bunch of parents. You know, let's you know thirty to 45-year-olds, and then there's grandparents. And it's the grandparents and the little kids who are the most emotionally engaged, you know, and I think that's true, you know, because nobody loves little kids more than old people. It's, you know, I think it's natural because they sort of see it and they have the wisdom and they know that, you know, they they understand better than anybody the value of time because they have the least of it left. And, you know, then there's the parents who are sort of the least involved in the ad because they're the you know they're the ones you know 
Well, they're middle-aged. They're our age. We don't right. care, and care about anybody. They're the least interesting, right. <laughs> but they're not... They're not disaffected, but they're not as affected right. or affected. Right. Uh, and then there's that te- that one teenager, and you know, the, I you know, for me personally, I, I have to admit. And if there's a criticism of the ad, it's like, well, come on, most teenagers aren't going to do that, and that is true. And so, yes, Apple is sort of showing the iPhone, but can you blame them? Yeah. I mean, it's their ad; they're showing it in the best possible light. Where maybe here's a kid who's creative, but. And and loves his family, but is at an age where it's the hardest to express that, and it's easier for him to express it in a form of of film. Like my that was fa- that was that was my takeaway. That's what I liked. Right. It was that uh, his way to connect is to kind of divorce himself from the situation. Right. I I could imagine being that kid. I yeah. really could. And I you know I you know and especially my favorite little touch in it is the way that he introduces the film. Which is effectively by just it, while people are while they're opening their presents Christmas morning, he doesn't even say anything. He just kind of goes over and turns on the TV and the Apple TV and starts the airplay. And it's because he does, you know. And I can imagine, and it's a little awkward actually, right? There's like this awkward moment where everybody's like, "Why are you turning on the TV?" It's you know, it's right. a couple of seconds of the commercial, but it, it there is no corny. Hey everybody! I made something. I want to show it to you. It's like he can't even bring himself to say anything. He just goes right. over and shows it and lets the little movie speak for itself, which I totally associate with. Yeah, no, I dig it. Uh, I think it's well done. Um, I no, I do identify a lot with that with that kid. Uh, I think that ad is made all the better by seeing what some other companies did with their It's with their just Christmas so ads. funny. So there's... It, it, <laughs> but the, the contrast is like mind-boggling, right? Right. Like this, that's just a good ad. And I think you're right. I think over the, you know, for the past few years, Apple is, Apple, Apple has been whiffling a little bit when it comes to uh, really nailing an ad. I can't think of the last one that I thought was just, really hit the mark, you know? Yeah. Before Especially after, and I was not as down on them as others, but like the, yeah. uh, uh, the ones where there was the, the, the genius in random situations in the real world, there was like a genius on the airplane and a genius yeah. in the apartment building. I guess they were played during the Olympics last summer or two summers ago. Yeah. That, it just seemed more like, um, I don't know, come into Best Buy and our guys will fix your computer virus. Like it, I don't know. It didn't. It didn't sit well with me. I don't know. It just. Yeah, I don't know. This Seems is more sort of mundane, the at least. But yeah, right. exactly. It's aspirational, right? Um, but you compare this to what Nokia and Samsung did. Yeah. So Samsung's new ad is, is cheeky, it, gear, Are you geared yeah. up? I guess is the name of the thing. And I just I can't yeah. help but think that that should become like a phrase for somebody who's acting like a jackass. You're geared up. I don't even know how yeah. to describe. Well, we're gonna we're gonna adopt that. So there's it's this really clumsily made ad about a like twenty young twenty something year olds at a ski resort for a weekend and there's a guy with a galaxy watch the galaxy gear watch and a galaxy smartphone picking up a girl a cute girl and then there's another guy who's after her too and he doesn't have the watch he only has 
apparently, this is what makes the ad so weird. <laughs> One of the things that makes it so weird is that he apparently just has a Galaxy phone. He does have a big-ass 5-inch phone. I guess they don't show that it's a Samsung. But oh, I didn't even notice that a little bit. It seemed to me, though, that, like, like it, as bad as the ad is, it would have been better if they had made his ad, phone look more like an iPhone. But it wasn't. It was big. Or just like an old flip phone. Like yeah, something, or something. But at moment after moment, no matter what he does, this guy who has the watch doesn't have to take his phone out. And so he keeps moving further and further ahead in his flirtations. with In the most creepy way. In a very creepy way. Like, it, like he's taking photos. <laughs> right. Taking photos of her with his watch. Like, so while it starts she... on a ski lift. <laughs> and he ends up just taking photos of this girl. With his wristwatch, and he and she's Which like, creepy. yeah, and the, the the phone number, the way he gets her phone number is pretty creepy too. He's like, just say your phone number, and she and she literally goes, what? And he goes, give me your phone number, <laughs> and it's so that he can show that the the gear watch will understand her voice, yeah. and then know, he calls her immediately, right? And then they get off and they go their separate ways to go skiing, right? And he follows her, taking photos of her with her watch, with his watch, right. And then and later, then he shows it to her, and for whatever reason, she's into it. Like, oh, right. look, you took a bunch of creepy photos. Right. It's like that night they, he, he sees her at the bar. No, he the, shows her on the ski slope. Oh, I thought he showed her at the bar. Yeah, they stop right. on the ski slope, and he All introduces right. her. Right. And she's like, oh, that's great. Yeah. He's like, here, look, I've got pictures of you on my watch. Yeah. yeah that's creepy. Yeah. I mean, I, I took a bunch of photos of it. Her name's Amy, by the way. I saw that. I remember that. Yeah. Although she spells it A-I-M-E-E. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my phone is full of Amy photos too. But, uh. <laughs> and then uh, at the, later on there at the bar and he's successfully creeping her there, but she bumps into him and he drops his phone, but he can find his phone because he can make his watch make the phone <laughs> play a sound. And in the meantime, the other guy was already getting her a drink and he's got... Two, so he's got two drinks, one for him and one for her. But then his phone goes off, and he tries to get his phone out while still holding the two drinks. And then he drops his drinks. And it is, uh, we we won't do it justice. Just uh, it's really bad. I've linked it on Daring. I'll put it in the show notes, I guess. But it's it's yeah, really yeah. pretty it, bad. It, it's insane. And the other one, it doesn't seem to sell the a. It doesn't really seem to sell the watch. B. It seems to indicate that it, if you just have a regular Samsung phone, you're going to be clumsily embarrassing yourself in front of people and dropping drinks. And then C. It is. It seems a little. Uh, uh, well, let's just put it this way stalkerish in terms of the exactly. man's behavior yeah. towards the woman given the screen time james bond could have made that work this right. guy just seemed incredibly creepy right like There's this is ways- this is not a suave like oh, i just happen to be cool and thank you for noticing this right. is this- like aggressively creepy stuff Right. There's ways to do the guy meets girl ad that are aren't creepy at all. They're cute yeah. and romantic. And this is <laughs> the opposite. No, I think if anybody chose make made the decisions that this guy made, there should like restraining order or like jail time or at least like somebody should have a stern word with them being like, you know what, this is this is over the line. This is not right. Exactly. Not even close. Yeah. This is yeah. really, it really, it really felt more like a ham-fisted video that you might see in a court-ordered. <laughs> <laughs> I 
counseling, like, like a recreation of a <laughs> right. Like when you have like a a when you've when you've stalked a, a, a someone and they get like a court order against you, and you, this seems like the awful video they make you watch to sort of teach you the error of your ways and what's inappropriate. Right. Uh, just just to get back to the top of the show, this is. <laughs> Oh my god, I'm going to get in so much trouble. Uh, this is the video that they would show you in high school sex ed class to explain what date rape is all about. <laughs> yeah, it exactly. is that awful. It is horrible. Like, do right. not ever act like this. Right. He does everything, everything short of mis, uh, misappropriate or inappropriately touching her. Yeah, which probably happens off camera. Right. Probably didn't film that bit. It it is. It's horrible. Nokia though steps up in a different direction. Yeah, so Nokia has the. Uh, oh my! It is such a bizarre ad. It really you can't make it up. It's so. It, it's <laughs> creepy in a very different way, where it yes. doesn't seem like anything is inappropriate, or socially. I, I, I'm happy with this ad existing than the other ad. Right, except for the fact that it's supposed to be selling you on a Nokia Windows uh-huh. 8 tablet. Yeah. And I think it's it, a horrible ad, but in right. terms of like being in the world, I think this one's... I'd rather have this one than the other one. So a guy goes in to get his hair cut, and, and he's got, you know, I would just say, like an average you know, men's haircut of 2013 length, but you know, relatively short. And then uh, his barber is grotesque. And this is... The, this is this is John. He's got like long nails. That are like, long, disgusting nails, like almost like zombie fingernails from The Walking Dead. Like, why are his nails so long and and apparently like covered with like some kind of fungus or something? <laughs> I mean, but I'm not I'm not exaggerating this in the least. No. Like he's like a barber with incredibly grotesque fingernails, asking him what hairstyle he wants and. They settle on an '80s hard rock mullet, which <laughs> doesn't, you know, really. I, I mean, I hate to argue about the sense of the ad, but it doesn't make any sense because his, you know, his hair isn't long enough to have the hairstyle. And then there's a weird woman who's, who's the name of the ad is the hairdresser's assistant. There's a very weird woman, like a nurse ratchet figure. Remember the nurse from yeah. uh, One Flew Over, like a sort of stern looking. <laughs> I don't know how I, to I describe. I do enjoy that you referenced one flew with a crook and cuckoo. I don't know. It's like you don't even have a bad movie with a nurse in it. Do yeah, you? I don't know. Yeah, she looks more like a like a bad nurse than anything yeah. else. And I'm not yeah. quite sure what role she plays. And then, well, she brings the tablet, right? Right. She brings the tablet out, and then he starts going through, and he can do his Excel spreadsheets, and I guess play some video games. All and, the while, hair is falling. Right. Like snippets of hair are falling and you don't understand why or what's happening right like every time he takes a, a swipe on the tablet a lock of his hair gets clipped yes yeah as but, if magically as right if magic, but yeah. but then 30 seconds later he looks up and he's got like like uh uh wayne's world hair right uh and the whole idea of the mullet I mean, whatever sense it makes that this kid got it but they're they're at literally going off the the Party in the back, you know, or work. What is business in the <laughs> business in the front? Party in the back. 
mullet phrase. <laughs> I can't even bring myself to say it. Right? Yeah. And so the idea is, I guess, what they're going for is something like, you know, this whole, it's the whole thing Microsoft has emphasized with their tablets ever since, you know, they came out with these things that, you know, an iPad's great for play, but you need a real PC for work. And so if you get ours, you can do your real work in real Excel and Word and still have all the fun that you could have on an iPad. And so right. they're, Nokia has decided to take this and literally push it in the with the mullet analogy <laughs> and I, do it in a way that is bizarrely creepy in like a zombie way and a sort of supernatural magic spell way. Yeah, it's got a uh I don't know, poor man's David Lynch feel to it a little bit. Like an over-the-top creepy character that may exist in real life, but it's just too oh, like too bizarre right. to actually happen. Oh, it's, and you know what? The business in the front, party in the back. I can, I get that. I get what you're trying to say. It's a shitty message, but I get it. Uh, can't you have fun with that? Right there might. Like, why not do like some '80s nostalgia goofy stuff? Right you know? there, there might be some way to do at like at some point if there's a a meeting in a, you know, a conference room and, and everybody is, you know, Don Draper style <laughs> bullshitting ideas of how are we going to sell this tablet yeah. that maybe there is a pitch that is somehow mullet based party right. in the back business up front. Everybody's maybe there's pitching bad concepts and it cuts to a guy with a mullet who gives a, a stirring Don Draper style speech about right. how it's important to have party in the front. And, uh, there, I don't know what that, I don't know yeah. what that good ad is. I don't think I, I don't think it's a good concept, but I, I, there might be some way to pull it off. This is so not even close to how you pull it off that it's, yeah. I can't even begin to think of the things that are wrong with it. Like I, the guy's gross fingernails are, are inexplicable. This and, doesn't make me want to buy anything except a hammer to use to beat up my TV. Right. And so. you, you, the viewer, are supposed to clearly, you know, there's only three people in there. There's the creepy nurse, creepy barber, and the guy getting a haircut. You're clearly supposed to associate with the guy getting the haircut. That's you, yeah. the consumer, who, who maybe want it, wants to get a Nokia 8 mullet tablet. Um, but yet they're showing you being touched by a guy with these creepy nails. Right. It's not even like a fairy godmother kind of setup. Right. Like same amount of magic, but with a fairy godmother. It's like, this is the world's creepiest guy. Like if I sat down there, I would leave. <laughs> right. I would Clearly. Like, right. I don't need my haircut that badly. Right. I, I'm leaving. And, and it really does get to the point where there's, you know, it, it, and it, it's like touch. Well, if his nails and fingers are so disgusting, why would you touch a tablet that he might have been touching? Like – you know, and then it also it, it, it's like you can't make this up. Like the guys, you know, at the end of the ad, his his hair is, you know, it, it, it's it's a it's a haircut that by today's standards anybody would make fun of. It is it is subject of jokes. Yeah. Uh, and in fact, I don't even think that the way he looks literally would have really passed even in like 1984. No. It was a, you know, it's a comical, it, it is a caricature of a mullet. Right. You know, he really, it's more like a Wayne's World wig. Um, so, I mean, without any exaggeration, it, the guy, and he, but he's very happy with his haircut. That's another thing we should mention. He seems very, very pleased with his decision and the way that it turned out. And so clearly this guy has horrible taste. <laughs> 
horrendous. He's got horrendous, horrendous, yeah, he's horrendous got it all, right? And it, right. I can't sum up that message better than you. Maybe it's like some weird, seditious marketing company that managed to sell Mar- uh, Nokia, in this case, on that, where it's like, we think this product is garbage. Guess what we're going to do? We're going to trick you into running this ad. That basically- right, let's just say that it, the result of one of these, you know, you know how there's like 80 zillion intercompany patent lawsuits, right. right? And let's say that the result of one of the ones between Apple and Nokia is decided in Apple's favor and the terms of the legal agreement are such that Apple gets to make a Nokia ad. (laughs) Phil Schiller in a million years could never come up with an ad that would be more damaging to Nokia's brand and the the prospects of their tablet than this ad. (laughs) I don't think you'd be that mean. It's hard to be that mean. (laughs) Right, like maybe they could come up with an idea like this, and they'd be like, "Oh, we can't do this to them. We can't, this is too right. bad." It's we like, can't. yeah, I still want to do a kind of good job, like it, you know. Right. <laughs> well, they don't have to worry. I mean, they're gone. What Microsoft bought them, so I don't know when they get rolled up. But... Yeah. Speaking of getting rolled up, and we got we should wrap this up soon. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know what? I, so I started this uh, ad stuff because your update too on the misunderstood is just a quote from Mad Men. Do you like that? Ah, yeah. Of course, of course, I like that. You did that for me, right? You know what? I actually, the way that I coded that, the second update on that, uh, you're the only person who got that. Ah, you're such a liar. But anyway, I like it. It's good. Good work. (laughs) Uh, I I like that you uh, you're telescised nostalgia. I always, well, I mean, that's a separate discussion, but I always feel that when you're talking about a word, you should italicize it. Yeah, interesting. Not that sure. When you're not using the word, uh-huh. but when you're actually talking about the word, you should italicize so it. So it's your way of putting it in quotes. Uh, but well, it's not uh, quotes because you're not call, quoting it. Right. It's calling it out as right. a. As an entity rather than right. being a member of the sentence. Right. It's like the way that uh, a lot of publications, including Daring Fireball, will italicize a book or movie title. Yeah. Isn't, uh, shouldn't you underline that? No. Underlining, no. You, you know what? I don't, can't believe I have you on this show. Underlining <laughs> was something it's that people... three hours, dude. Underlining on a typewriter was shorthand for when you properly typeset this manuscript, which I can only use oh, a typewriter for, right. yeah, okay. italicize it. Yeah, okay. And then uh, a, it, it just became so ingrained in culture that, you know, that when you have a title, you underline it, that people thought that's what you do is you underline it. Best okay, thing. so if you, I mean, if you're going to be a dick, why do you underline your links? Uh, because I think it is useful to, for people to know what's a a, a link. Yeah. I think one of yeah, the best no, things. No argument, but why the underline? Because underlining was like the first standard f- to show what, yet, what's I a hyperlink. I think uh, underlining on a typewriter to mention the name of a book is effectively the same thing, no? No, because it's, you, it's a go look at this thing. It's, it's only useful it's if you it's can't just, italicize it. I think one of the best things that's ever happened to type. So why don't you tell us your links? Because I underline. You only have to do one. 
and what like if mentioning a book is effectively no, but what a if, link in in physical space? Right? Yeah, but if I link to a book, then I'll both italicize and underline it, and then that, <laughs> that lets you know that I do. I'm not. Why are you laughing? That yes, way you know it's an arbitrary set of rules. It's fine. I don't care. But right, there's some arbitrary shit going on here. One of the best things that ever happened to typesetting in general was the. Tim Berner-Lee's decision to use underlines to indicate links by default, because sure. then all of a sudden, people slowly but surely stopped using underlines to mean emphasis yeah. uh, and use it only for, uh, or almost always now. Right. Right. Yeah. right. Prior to the web, people were using underlines in word processors where they should have been using italics. Well, I do agree that uh, EM, like the emphasis, is way better than bold or italic or underline. Because uh, one of them, one of them denotes uh, intention, yeah, and the other one denotes a particular style. And right. I think style is not necessarily what you yeah. want to be conveying a lot of the time. You know? Yeah, we could do a whole show on this. Yeah, uh, we're only what. Two hours, 15 minutes in. Plus, we got the dancing elves. Nah, you know what? I just got word we're going to have to cut that. We're going to bump them. Yeah, we're going to bump them. I think I, I don't think we're going to have time for any of them. But my thanks for, for all of them. For uh, Some of them look a little angry. I hope Moltz is still asleep, though. In winter, it's a marshmallow. Having you with us for the holidays. I couldn't think of any better place to be. Oh, hey, how about an eggnog? Huh? Well, I'll take yeah, a little come on, bit of it.